Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Well... The fun has officially begun. Uh, we're going to do a couple of things. We'll talk Big Ten prospects, Big Ten football. We're going to talk, um, you know, it's going to get Donovan James-centric uh, as we get some, some Donovan James content as our on-the-spot, in-the-mix man from uh, Izzy Eleven is going to drop some science. And I believe we have a very special guest star with us, maybe a couple of special guest stars, um, as we move on. But first, I want to greet my co-host, Mr. Gentleman James Coburn. How are you doing, Jim? Uh, pretty good. Hey, Jim. Excellent. 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 Um, there was a time when Big Ten prospects and Big Ten football usually meant, you know, quote unquote, the big uglies, uh, neck rolls, uh, guards, tackles, centers, defensive linemen, linebackers, fullbacks. You would occasionally get a Chris Carter, you know, Terry Glenn, mixed in flavor now and again. But, you know, you usually thought about going to USC and Florida and whatever for your, your you know, wide receiver types. And, you know, you get the occasional – I mean, Michigan had a nice little run of quarterbacks, obviously, and there have been some Ohio State quarterbacks and things like that. But, you know, in the old days, quarterbacks from the Big Ten, you know, weren't – Flinging it around all over the place until, you know, that began to change when uh, you saw the basketball and grass offense, you know, that, uh, you know, Joe Tiller brought to Purdue, and then the spread popped up at Northwestern, you know, and began to see the ball get thrown around the Big Ten. For the longest time, it was, you know, like the SEC in many ways, it's a power-running conference, and the weather was bad for the last half of the season, so... You know, you couldn't really be an aerial circus uh, in a lot of times, even if you wanted to. And now the Big Ten is changing. Well, I think the Big Ten is. At least a team or two in the Big Ten are beginning to change the personality of the Big Ten in terms of the talent that comes out of the conference. Uh, a stated aim, in fact, of Coach Urban Meyer was to turn it into, you know, basically the, you know, at least their particular team into a north, you know, a northwestern or north central outpost of the SEC. And he hasn't completely pulled it off, but, well, you know, they're pretty far down the – I mean, the project seems to be working, Jim, in terms of changing the kind of talent that we think of when we think of Big Ten football players. Well, yeah. You, know, you recruit in SEC territory, and then you seem to start to look a lot like the SEC. <laughs> like, that's kind of his – you know, the mercenary approach, you know, uh, instead of instead of just getting, you know, I mean, every every uh, college program has different ways of recruiting. Some are, you know, first we're going to do our state and then we're going to go outside, you know. and But their strategy is 
no, we're just going to get the best players. And if they happen to be in Florida, then we're going to go to Florida. If they happen to be in California, then we're going to go to California. If if some of them are in Ohio, well, we'll, we'll go get them. But it's not <laughs> a giant priority. Yep. Yep. I got you. I mean, and like I said, you know, I, it's hard to argue with success. Where is Urban Meyer not one? I mean, where he goes, it works. The guy has either the number one or number two, even the top two in terms of uh, coaches at the FBS level with 100 or more victories. He's either number one or number two in winning percentage. I can't remember exactly where, but he's high. He's, hey, he's, yeah. not the, he's either at the top or very, very, very near the top. If you were to start saying what which mm-hmm. coach would you rather have, Les Miles or um, Urban Meyer? Oh, that's an easy one, Urban Meyer. Uh, Les Miles is not a bad coach, don't get me wrong, but the, you can see who's had the ability to do more with less. Urban Meyer well, beat Alabama well, with Utah. Have you, so, <laughs> have you brought the hammer or the nail with, with Les Miles? <laughs> oh, yes, the old classic hammer or the nail. I mean, and, and the funny thing is, Les Miles is a Michigan man, right? It's the, the reverse of the Urban Meyer situation. He brought the Big Ten to the SEC, complete mm-hmm. with quarterbacks that can't throw the ball worth a darn and a lot of really good running backs and, and great offensive lines. The, the fact is that Urban Meyer has showed he can win even when he doesn't have a bunch of five stars all over the place. Like I said, look at what he did at Utah. Look what he did at Bowling Green. We haven't seen Les Miles show the same ability to wring every little drop of productivity and talent out of a team that doesn't have great, great players. You may have seen some great, great players. We, we, we tend to see them get close, but usually not all the way over the hump. And you look at Urban Meyer taking over over uh, Jack Russell, or whatever his name is. That's his name, Jack Russell, or the former coach from Terrell Pryor was at Ohio State. You mean Jim Trestle? Yeah, my bad. Yeah. You see how well, good that I mean, program was then. Well, Trestle left him a fair amount of talent. Trestle was a very good recruiter, too. Um, yeah. So he was recruiting differently. Right. I mean, he was a different, he was a different kind of team he recruited. He recruited the Midwest. His team was uh-huh. made of kids from Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, Indiana, and Illinois. You know, he recruited Big, big Ten country, and he would get the occasional kid from outside of the area, too. He would get the occasional California kid. He'd get the occasional Texas kid a couple of kids from Texas, and even one or two from Florida. But it's been flipped, as Jim was pointing out. Now he's, I mean, Urban Meyer is nailing, you know, Florida. I mean, he's, he's recruiting Florida as well as schools that are, he's beating UCF and USF. And, I mean, he's getting more four and five stars from Florida than all but one or two teams that are in Florida. So that's the thing that's changed, is his, his recruiting pipeline that he established in his time in Florida still is feeding him Florida talent in a way that they've never had before at Ohio State. Ohio State became a powerhouse, you know, initially just really recruiting their, their own area initially. I mean, you go to, they were winning championships in the 40s and 50s just on the guys right in their own backyard. And Woody Hayes was a pretty much the same deal. He would occasionally get a guy from someplace else. But mostly it was he was recruiting the heck out of the state itself with the occasional care from outside. Trestle, they weren't quite a national recruiter under Trestle, but they would get a sprinkling of outside of the Midwest town. They were mostly a regional recruiter under Trestle. 
they are truly a national recruiter now with a real emphasis, in fact, on Florida because of, well, you know, speed. <laughs> That's pretty Right, but, and uh, some other guys, too. I mean, they've got a good number of skill, skill position defensive back types from, from, the, from the South as well. And the man himself is here. Ladies, gentlemen, children of all ages, you thought to yourself, if only I had someone on the inside of Elite 11 to tell me what the heck's going on, I would feel better at myself. I would sleep better at night. My hair would be straighter. My nose, my, the air would smell sweeter. My food would taste better. If only... I had inside information from Elite 11. Well, guess what? Your prayers, your hopes, your dreams are all about to be answered. Ladies and gentlemen, the man, the myth, the legend, Donovan James from Elite 11. Thank you. That was an amazing introduction. I appreciate it. I need you at my wedding and birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Everything. How's it going, guys? I'm glad to be oh. back here. Yay. So the conquering hero has returned. So tell us, sir, um, obviously there's always a certain amount of drama around Elite 11. It's, it's the thing that tends to, at least in the perception of some people in the recruiting community, it can make or break a prospect. Guys go from being, eh, you know, to, oh, this guy is the guy based on, you know, which is, you know, once again, some, we'll talk about how much that means, but I've seen guys go from being talked about as, you know, guys on the three, four-star fringe or four or five-star fringe to the number two guy or the number one guy based on Elite 11. Um, tell people who aren't familiar with Elite 11 what it is, how it works, and, and then your impressions from this year. Um, the Elite 11 is uh, a Nike um, organization, or Nike runs it, and uh, the opening and the Elite 11 uh, finals will be at Peterson, Oregon, at the Nike headquarters. Um, the way it works, basically, is uh, it was started by Andy Bart. Um, about 15 years ago, it's crazy to think it was small <laughs> back then. Uh, they only had 30 yeah. quarterbacks to compete. Um, now they do it regionally. Um, so you get the best of the best. Um, you have no, uh, you know, bias or anything. You know, you get the top kids from every region. Uh, they do sub-regions, not just East Coast, West Coast. They do the New England region. Uh, they have uh, Massachusetts up there. They do one. They have a few in the Southeast, one in Vegas, uh, one in L.A., one in San Diego, um, all over and uh, you take the top um, quarterbacks from each region, and you get the top 30. Um, you put them in L.A., um, out here in sunny um, Southern California, and they spend a whole week out here, and uh, they're, you know, with the, the best of the best uh, coaching. Um, George Whitfield, Kerry Joseph, uh, Matty James, Charlie Fry, Brian Stump, and uh, Jordan Palmer and Trent Dilker is the leader, and the head honcho, of course, so. Um, on three of on three of the guys you named, I still have scouting notes. <laughs> yeah, there's some young guys here. Um, I'm sure Jordan Palmer, Jordan Palmer's still in the cell. I got um, my I'm scouting sure. notes on him. I got my yeah. scouting notes on Charlie Fry, and believe it or not, I still have my scouting notes on Trent Dilfer. Trent Dilfer, okay, there you go. Yeah, um, and uh, Adrian McPherson was here. A- Adrian McPherson was here this year, um, so that's another guy you probably have. Adrian McPherson. Wow, yeah, we had, cool. we, had, we, had, we had some yeah. ugly fights on consensus draft services about Adrian McPherson. Because it wasn't yeah. those guys that people could be like, eh, no, you either loved him or you hated him. Some people thought he was going to be, you know, a killer, and then he's going to destroy, I mean, like, he's going to tear it up. And other people were like, mm, you know, he's a gimmick and he's too raw, but whatever. Yes, go ahead. Tell us about right. what, what, what Elite 11's been going on and what you've noticed. Chris Ricks was also there too. I wanted to mention him because he, he was oh, a big. He actually got a chance to talk to him, and he was great. 
Um, great guy. Um, he's really good with kids, man. Um, he does a lot of work with a youth uh, Christian group anyway, and so he's working mm-hmm. with kids uh, as far as football goes. No didn't have the best career ever, but <laughs> he's a good coach, a good mentor, really a good mentor type of guy just to lead him on the right track. Um, but, no, um, yeah, it, it was great out there um, at, at these practice fields. That's where it takes place. Uh, you know, this was a good group, group of quarterbacks this year. It's not the best of the best. Like, last year was, like, exceptional top elite <laughs> level groups. Um, it, you know, like I said, this started back in 1999. Um, <laughs> so, Jeff Smoker, who was the first guy to win. <laughs> yeah, Smoker. Yeah, Michigan yeah. State. Okay. Yeah, so it's it's been around for a while. Obviously, it's changed since Jeff Smoker. Um, it was on national television this year, um, just the semifinals. Um, and, of course, the finals will be on uh, ESPN2 and ESPNU um, next month. So it's it's a great group of kids this year, though. I know we'll get into that. And, uh, like I said, the team's really great. Um, Ten of the past 11 quarterbacks won the Heisman. I've been out of lead 11. So, I mean, wow. Mariota was the only one that uh, – didn't compete. And a lot of that was because uh, getting him over into the mainland, being from Hawaii, um, it was a little, little, too, little too late to get him over. And plus, he wasn't really recruited too much. So, that high right. as other guys. So, that's the only one, though. Everybody else, Johnny and Jameis and all those guys. I mean, Jameis was just here um, last year uh, helping out the kids with his offseason. So, um, obviously, he's got bigger things to do this year <laughs> in the offseason. So. You going to make it this year? You want to make it this year? He didn't that, make it that would have been hilarious <laughs> if he showed up. Like, James, what are you doing here? Well, I love it here. <laughs> yeah, hey, I know, right? But they talk. He's, it's a, it's a, it's a group that's tight knit. Um, these guys are close. Um, even the kid, uh, um, Archie, um, uh, can't think of his last name. He's for, he's plays for the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks. Um, I cannot think of his name right now for the, for the life of me. But um, Archie Bradley, sorry. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. He, yeah, committed to Oklahoma, um, five-star recruit. He was number one overall pick for the Diamondbacks. He called and was like, yeah, you know, um, send me some Elite 11 gear. I'll send you some Diamondback gear. Um, Yogi Roth <laughs> is really close to all the guys. He keeps in contact with everybody. So even if you're not playing, uh, you know, and Teddy Bridgewater. You know, Teddy Bridgewater did a great job here a few years ago. Um, right. And he keeps in contact with Yogi Roth and Trent Dilfer and all these guys, too. So, it's it's great for the kids. I mean, all and off the field, uh, a lot of these guys end up really successful, obviously. Ten Heisman Trophy winners. <laughs> so, yeah. It's yeah, that, that, that's not bad. Not <laughs> bad at all. <laughs> not bad at all. I mean, even guys, you know, um, that didn't win the Heisman necessarily. I mean, uh, they've done a good job here. Um, you know, Andrew Luck was here. He didn't win, <laughs> actually. But, um, <laughs> no, he didn't win the Heisman. <laughs> Somehow, he didn't, he didn't win Elite 11 either. Nope. <laughs> Actually. So, uh, but he was here. He did a good job. Um, obviously, him and George, that's how they made their connection. The first time was in yep. high school. That's how Georgia meets a lot of these kids. He remembers them um, <laughs> from high school. Um, and Chris Winkie um, was here, too, um, before he started IMG Academy. So, uh, obviously, right. now right. he's staying with Rams off and putting So, even coaches are moved up. I mean, Chris Winkie yep. was a academy instructor um, with Trent Dilfer when he started six years ago. Now he's offensive coordinator or quarterback coach. Uh, yeah. So big things it, happening. It, <laughs> big things, right. No, it's, it's gone from being a very, as you said, a very little thing. I remember the first time I heard of it 
it was probably the second year. I don't think I even heard of it the first year it happened, but I heard of it the second year it happened. I said, oh, that's a cool idea. That's nifty, you know. Um, and I was like, oh, you know, but I, it was the kind of thing that I was transfixed by. I didn't follow it breathlessly. I'll put it that, I'll be honest. But I knew about it, about probably the second year it existed. And I thought it was a cool idea. Nike wasn't associated with it at first, were they? No, they weren't actually. They came in. So. Okay. Uh, they came in a little later. Um, I, I okay. the year was uh five, I believe. Okay, the, and that that coincides with 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 it changing from this sort of interesting little nifty thing to this thing that was like this must. Like every school was by that point, every school had to you know had a presence or had to know what was going on or was following. Yeah, by that time you were following it kind of breathlessly. Um. So tell people how it's formatted. You know, what is it? Um, I mean, obviously, we refer to the Manning Passing Academy, which is sort of loosely organized. There's some drills and competitions and some seven-on-sevens and stuff like that. But it's not incredibly – I mean, it is somewhat structured, but it's mostly kind of a fun deal. Uh, how is Elite 11 structured in terms of the day and what, what the kids actually do? The structure is beautiful. Nike, I mean, they're they're great, man. I know they're, you know <laughs> – biggest company in the world or whatever of course but i mean the guys that they have the marketing and everything from top to bottom are just great um even so nice showed up before not not this year but he showed up before um wow. at honcho of nike he showed up there before but no how it starts is you know i'll just take you from santa monica beach volleyball <laughs> that's what the kids love the most uh in and out um getting off the bus or lax and immediately eating in and out and, um, you know, getting into their dorms out there and playing beach volleyball. They watch them. Um, I know it's just beach volleyball you're messing around, but they want to see how competitive you are. Some of these kids yep. have never seen a beach um, or volleyball. Uh, there's a kid from D.C., um, inner city of D.C. here <laughs> or, or there, and he was out here. He'd never been past, like, Texas or anything. First time he's ever seen beach, volleyball, in and out, all that stuff. And he was just taking it in. But um, KJ Costello was out there. He's from Rancho Santa Margarita. You know, he's at home. <laughs> he's playing beach volleyball. <laughs> you know, um, or Dylan yeah. O'Brien. Yeah, he's from Dana Point. And if you know about Dana Point, it's one of the most beautiful. Oh, places. well, Dana Point well, is where, like, Karsh Karai and what's his name used to train. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, like they've, shot, they've shot movies about beach volleyball <laughs> at Dana Point. They've shot <laughs> Exactly. And he's going to Nebraska of all places. He's not staying home. But it's okay. he's got yeah, some adjustments. <laughs> he, he does. He has some big time adjustments. But uh, yeah, that's how it starts off. And this and there, um, you know, they get some good. They have a, a good, a good meeting. Um, with uh, Chris Rich was doing it this year, and a good meeting with um, and Andy, the guy that's the best leader and the head honcho, basically. And then they, Kendall, talk to him, set them up. And they start going through warm-ups and practice drills, excuse me, um, Saturday. Um, mostly just practice drills and warm-ups. Just seeing how everybody looks, getting used to the receivers. You don't want to just throw them in there. You want to get them a day, a whole day. And um, they were out there for eight hours. Um, they had a two-hour break. Oh, wow. Lunch. Yeah, they were out there forever. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, they'll let NFL guys at minicamp practice that long. <laughs> There's no time limit, man. I mean, these kids are um, – um, some of them were still in school, uh, but they're almost done. You know, it's the junior year. Um, I know Jacob Eason um, brought his baseball cleats um, on accident because he literally just got off a red eye from Washington. 
um, to come wow. to camp, and he had a baseball tournament. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's crazy. It's hectic sometimes because some of those kids are still in high school. Um, Lake Henry had to fly all the way out on a red eye from IMG all the way out back home to Westlake Village and go back down to LA. So, um, yeah, it's hectic. But practices, practices, eight hours, um, eating. They want them to eat a lot. Well, these kids are really small. <laughs> I've noticed. <laughs> I know they're young, but it's like, man, I, I look like a giant, like weight-wise. <laughs> but um, so they eat a lot. You know, the young guys uh, listen to the music. They get in their bag. All the cool Nike stuff, the, the Dre beat headphones. They get free stuff. Ooh. Um, Ooh. Oh, that's cool. Wait, they get beat. Wait, hold on. Slow down. They get beat by Dre? Yeah, man. They do get beat by Dre, and they get some new Why did I become an elite quarterback? <laughs> What's wrong with me? <laughs> Yeah, there's thirty. There, there's only thirty, so it's, it really is elite. But uh, wow, you know, yeah, yeah. They, Dre, Dre beats and, and Nike shorts and uh, the compression, you know, shorts and everything. Um, oh. It's great, you know. They 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 feed them so much, and you know they just do them good. You know, Nike does a good job at helping out the kids. But uh, yeah, the Sunday series day, you know, uh, out Saturday series too. When you're going through the drills and all the coaches are looking at you, they're taking kids individually. Um, like George had his kids, Trent had his kids, you know, uh, everybody had their kids. Jordan Palmer had his kids. And, uh, but Sunday, that's the seven-on-seven. Seven. Uh, there's three games of seven-on-seven, seven, so it's intense. And you're going through individual drills where you got Trent Dilfer Trend and George Lissville just staring at you as 17-year-olds. It's hectic, man, individual drills. That was a part for me. Seven-on-seven, seven, they were fine. All these kids today. Um, you know, Bill. I mean, you 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 know, you saw this come from just smoker days. So now the seven on seven drills are that happens all the time, especially for the West Coast kids. They're playing year round. Um, the weather's right. not good. Right. But um, I mean, yeah, the seven on seven was a little hectic, but the individual drills were rough. I could see some of the kids, some of the kids have it, some of the kids don't. That's what separated them. Ah. Uh. That's what that because you know they they see George Lucas on TV. He's doing Johnny Manziel's and. James Winston's pro day, and now they're 17, 16 years old. KJ was 16 when it started. He's 17 now. His birthday was last week. But, I mean, these kids are young. They're young (laughs) men, like super young. Um, I think there was one guy that was close to 18 there. Uh, The rest were 17, 16 years old. So, they're young men, and, you know, they got these big – Trent Dilfer got a Super Bowl ring on, of course. You know, (laughs) Um, (laughs) you know, Jordan's talking about – all these guys he's playing with and, you know, his brother went on the high and him being at UTEP and, you know, I mean, it's, it's crazy. Um, and then, you know, I said McPherson and Ricks were out there. Um, it, it was rough, but for some of the kids, some of the kids, you know, went right through it, played, excelled. But yeah, that's pretty much how it goes. And then, you know, we end the night with a good prayer, another meal, and <laughs> um, everybody goes back home. Uh, they get on their flights on LAX or, in KJ and Dylan O'Brien's case, they just drive back home. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Probably could get on a bike and ride back home if they were good. They're pretty good physical conditions. <laughs> Almost. Yeah. They we're we're at SC's campus, so it's a little far out from them, but a little far. I mean, yeah, you're right. it'd, be a, it'd be a long bike ride, I guess. You're right about that. You're right. You're right. You're right. Because yeah, well, that's but well, no. kids are county kids. Yeah, but that's it, man. I mean, that it's it's a it's a lo- it's a short process because it's only those really two days, maybe thirty hours, but it's rough. Um, you gotta get your sleep. You can't. A lot of these kids come in and they're wide eyed. They they want to 
they have Xboxes and stuff in the room, but they don't Uh-oh. want you to play that. They don't want you to play. I don't know. I don't. I really wouldn't even have it in the room personally. But I wouldn't either because you're. T- yeah. How do you put that in a sixteen-year-old's room if they don't play it? That's yeah. Pretty it's, cool. It's pretty oh, cool. what game? What, what, what game do you want? We got it. You know, NHL two K or NBA two K, whatever. No. Um, but you can't do that. I think it's a test for them to focus. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess that's what it is. It's a test, yeah. It's got to be a test. You know, they got the <laughs> you know, they Which kid ends up staying up to 2 o'clock in the morning? Yeah, I thought you would, you would find that out exactly. real quick. Oh, yeah. Oh, and, and if you've ever watched uh, the, the finals for Elite 11, uh, Trey Dover doesn't play, man. Um, he had maybe Phil's in there last year, which like, <laughs> threw everyone off. I know Yogi Ross was talking about it on the – the telecast, yep. I had a chance to yep. watch it. He had Navy SEALs in there. Uh, they had to do Navy SEALs training at 6 in the morning. Um, <laughs> those kids are pissed off. <laughs> they didn't even expect to wake up that early, let alone do Navy SEALs drills, which are ridiculous. I mean, you know, Navy yes. SEALs. So, I mean, it if, was... if, 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 you, if you've never actually thrown up from a workout, let us suggest, here's, if you, what do you, what you want to, you never have what you want to, let me suggest working out with Navy SEALs. You'll find out how it feels like to throw up so nothing can, will come out anymore. Yeah, a couple of kids did throw up, man. A couple of kids. Oh, they, yeah. They, they didn't finish. Well, they, they, they finished eventually, but they, they gassed out. Um, it yep. doesn't matter what workout you went through at your high school because turnover is going to make it five times as hard. He's going to bring in maybe still the pain now. Um, uh, he does a lot of yoga <laughs> last year. Um, Pilates was a little. Uh, Different, but you know these are mostly West Coast guys, so I think that's why yeah, the, guys that run, the, the guys that run it, you know, they're yeah, all Coach, Coach Saban is not. You might bring some baby seals, but you're not getting any yoga or Pilates on Nick Saban. I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> oh, that's happening. Coach Sarks maybe or Coach Elfridge up there. Yeah. Oh, Elfridge yeah. would embrace that stuff in a second. Oh yeah. 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 All that stuff. Right. Yeah. He would. He that's, does that's, that's right up his alley. Yeah, he is a yoga guy. He's a yogurt guy, too, apparently. <laughs> There's a story about him, like, with the, you know, smoothies that they do. Um, Chip Kelly, like, you know, Helfer still does it. And, you know, they put it in a little bit um, at the opening, um, which is the opening, you know, is just every position. And then you got the Elite 11 final. They're all up there together. But, uh, yeah, it's July 11th, I believe it starts. Um, they 17 quarterbacks this year, not 11. So I guess there's too many oh. ones. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's that is different. <laughs> it is different. Um, they changed it up. You know, Trent Dilfer was just like, I want six extra quarterbacks. They deserve to go. He's the one running the show. Um, <laughs> so he was allowed to do that. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm gonna open it up to uh, to Jim. Jim, obviously, I've been hogging it, so I'm gonna let you get in there. What questions do you have for Donovan about uh, anything about Elite Eleven and what he's seen, what he's heard? Oh, uh, hmm. well, in terms of uh, the guys that I mean, I guess you kind of talked about who impressed you the most, but um, who were some of the quarterbacks that kind of stuck out and who didn't stick out? Yeah, of course, of course. Um, I had 11 guys I thought would make it before, and then, you know, they got the final 11. Well, 17, I guess it's so good now. Um, the guy that impressed me the most was Shea Patterson, um, kid from Louisiana. Um, a lot of people have him as their number one quarterback. Um, he's the consensus number one quarterback in the country. He's going to Ole Miss. He already committed. His brother works at Ole Miss, so that was a bonus. 
Um, he chose LSU missed out another quarterback. Um, hometown guy. Uh, they've been recruiting since eighth grade, and they didn't oh. get him. So I mean, oh. that's a big deal in the SEC. That Shane Patterson chose Ole Miss. Ole Miss hit home run because they. You know, they had to deal with Bo Wallace for a couple of years, and they're going to have some quarterback <laughs> issues. The quarterback issues this year. Um, I like Devontae Kincaid, who was here three years ago, and then Chad Kelly. He can stay out of trouble. Um, <laughs> he's still on the team by a hair. So they have some issues. We'll see what happens. Those two guys, they're underclassmen. But I think Shea Patterson's going to be a huge deal um, for Ole Miss fans uh, next year. I think he might win the starting job. But as far as right now, he was the best quarterback there. He did everything. Um, you know, uh, we'll see what his official 40 is. I don't know. I think it's like a four. But I've heard, I've heard, he's, I've heard he's like a, like a yeah, like he's a, a dual threat guy, right? He's got some oh, size yeah. and an arm, but he can run really well, I've heard. Oh, yeah, and he was the most mature guy, meaning age-wise, um, he's 17 and a half. And just he's just a football player. He doesn't do any of other stuff. I think it's maybe the Southern thing in him. But <laughs> he doesn't play. I know Southern kids play baseball and basketball. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that a lot of these kids on the West Coast do a lot of different stuff and all. So he's straight football all the time. It's so dead on. Right. Trent Dover loved him. I could tell. Um, and George did, too. He's 6'3", 210 right now. So he's bigger than a lot of other kids, too, um, that are barely pushing 200. And he's a legit 6'3". Um, like I said, he's only 17 and a half. Cerebral, um, tough. Um, even though they're not hitting out here, um, he had a broken pinky, and he was still oh. the best quarterback. <laughs> so he should, a lot of people say, I mean, he's in high school, so, you know, take the comparison is a little slow, but they have, he has a Brett Favre in him a little bit. Um, just because of how athletic and big he can be and tough yeah. he is right now. Yeah. Um, so he, he was great. Um, he was, he was amazing. Jacob Easton, um, Bill, I talked about you, you probably know his dad um, played at Illinois. Yep. He was a big-time quarterback there. Um, you know, Jacob Easton's from Washington. Washington's pushing out yeah. quarterbacks right now. <laughs> they, 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 that's always going to be a quarterback state. Washington, going back, I'll be to the Ryan Leaf, Bledsoe's, Tim Rosenbaugh, Cody Pickett. Well, Cody Pickett was originally from no, not Cody Pickett. Wrong guy. Uh, Pickett is from. No, what is he, 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 I, I think Pickett's from Washington. Yeah, he's from Washington. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cody Pickett. Is. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was a nice little run, and of course, you yeah. know, they haven't had quite the same level of success with some of the guys there, but yeah, they've got the five stars, but they don't have. Well, Jay Keith was five, and he missed out, you know. But Max Brown, I think, still be a successful guy. Um, you know, just hasn't had a ch- chance yet with Cody Kessler being ahead of him. But then Jacob Eason is going to Georgia. So this is interesting to me. He reminds me of Matthew Stafford. Um, got the same floppy hair, big, tall, strong arms. It's stronger than Orm Jacob Eason um, by far. It's not really even close. Um, <laughs> the kid has an NFL arm hands. Um, they're going to measure hands up there and get the 40s and all that official time. So it's cool that James asked me this question because the metrics come into play when they go up to Oregon um, because Sparks gets involved. So... Uh, we'll see, but for me, Washington Jacob Easton was a monster, just on the deep ball. Um, KJ Costello um, had to get in rhythm a little bit. I think he was too relaxed because he was at home. Um, he had like friends there, and he was a little a little distracted the first day. They weren't there the second day. He was amazing. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was it was his birthday that weekend too. He, was tur- he just turned seventeen, 
So, yeah, a lot going on. Like I said, he's from 30 miles down the road. Um, a little distracted, but played great. Um, one of the smartest kids I've ever talked to um, at the high school level. I mean, this guy, I talked to him in eighth grade. First time I ever talked to him. I just knew, I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't care about his measurables. Um, he was a big kid. He's 6'5", you know, 210 right now, so he's huge, but just has it, man. Um, so accurate. Um, pinpoint down the field. Not, not, not super athletic, but he can run a little bit. Um, more of a pocket, old-school type of quarterbacks. Um, other guys that were pretty good, Jack Allison, who's going to Miami, was solid to me. Felipe Franks, who's going to LSU, was another solid quarterback. Dwayne Haskins, Jr., was a kid. For, this is a Bill Carroll type of guy, Dwayne Haskins. Remember that name. He, he's interesting, man. <laughs> he was just so starstruck at first. Um, like I said, he's from D. He's, from, he's a DC kid. Oh, the DC going kid. To, yeah, he's a DC kid going to Maryland. Um, he's gonna be. I'm not gonna say he's gonna save their program, but when's the last time Maryland had a big time quarterback? It's been a while. Boomer Esiason <laughs> was a big time quarterback, and Frank Reich was a four star recruit, and then it's been that some was guys. Ago. I know Stan Gelbaugh was pretty decent, but then it was well, kind of a drop off after that. Dwayne Haskins was born in 1997, so <laughs> it's uh, it, he didn't see those guys at all. Um, best thing he saw was maybe C.J. Brown past year, <laughs> but uh, that's it, man. I, I'm not saying he's going to say the program, but he's a big-time quarterback. He's a four-star guy. Um, he's a local kid, so they kept him there. He can go down to Florida or some other, Penn State or some other school. Um, so he's going to be big-time, 6'3", uh, 192. Uh, like I said, he's only 16 and a half years old. Um, he was one of the youngest guys there. Um, the last guy was Jawan Pass from Georgia. Um, was it in high school Cam Newton? He's mentored by Cam Newton. Um, he looks like Cam Newton, <laughs> um, actually. George Whistle was just drooling because, you know, of course he was Cam. 6'4", 2'11", 17-year-old kid. Runs a, he was a fast quarterback there um, and, and one of the biggest. So it's intriguing. Arm strength is great. Accuracy is questionable, but the offense he runs in high school, they don't ask him to be super accurate. He runs a uh, damn moon style offense. So um, he's got some issues he's got to work on, but he's great. Um, he's going to be – he's only started for one year as well. So he's going to be a kid to look out for. So those are the top guys for me um, at the lead 11. Okay. In your opinion, who came the farthest? Would it be – Mr. Haskins, in terms of, like, looking maybe like he didn't quite belong at first, but who got it, you know, sort of showed the most progress in that short amount of time? Oh, Nick Starkle. Uh, Oklahoma oh. State. Tell me about him. Oh, Tell me about man. him. He, I've never heard of Nick Starkle. I'm going to be – and I, you know, I keep on recruiting around. I try to. I mean, I, I love all other sports, too, but I never heard of Nick Starkle until um, – he's a kid from, from Dallas, um, so he's oh. big time. I mean, he goes to a big time school. He is just a – he's so Mike Gundy, typical Oklahoma State quarterback. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean he's skinny. He can do all – he's a coach's son. Um, you know, he's undersized. He, he's quick, though. He can run out of a pistol. He's going to throw it 60 times a game. He's just meant for that. He's got the charm. So he's like um, – so he's like, what, like six feet even, like 172 pounds, that kind of thing? Uh, yeah, he's six one one. uh 72. I, I, they have not 180, but I mean, there's no way. <laughs> I think it, when he weighs in up at uh, 
up in Eugene, he'll be – or Beaverton, rather, he'll be 172, 171. He was the skinniest kid there. Um, okay. And the, so, yeah. But he's great. He made the long – this kid was, um, you know, they didn't even think he'd make it out of Texas, let alone oh. to the semifinals. And then to he was handpicked by staff to come up here. Um, he actually didn't make it, but they just – he's that type of kid where you just get behind him. Um, he was clutch. Even at the camp, he was clutch. Seven on seven, he might have missed three throws in a row. Um, it's the last down he hits it on time. You know, um, <laughs> he's that type of kid. He's not, he's gonna he's gonna play. At, who's the kid at Oklahoma State now? I can't think of his name. Um, they oh, had um, the same type of quarterback though to me. Besides Whedon, he was the kind of only different one. He's Zach Robinson, that type of quarterback. Um, right, right, right. So. Yeah, he went the longest way. Um, Patrick O'Brien, the kid from Dana Point, I'll tell you about. He was a rock star. <laughs> um, really? Christy, Cristiano Ronaldo haircut, the, you know the 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 diamond earrings. <laughs> you know he's from Dana. He's from Dana Point. You know he's a, he's he's uh, fixing his hair up. You know during during the practices and stuff like that. He's just. Talking so, so, so he's like he's like Bryce he's like Bryce Harper is what you're telling me only a high school football player pretty much <laughs> yeah and they're not that far apart in age so and yeah he's the guy that probably I don't know but he saw the video game guy at two a.m. <laughs> and he had a little knucklehead in him but he's great he, he's you know he's gonna my, he's playing for Mike Riley so he's gonna have to turn it down but. <laughs> <laughs> um, going out there in Nebraska, but no, he's great. Uh, he did a good job. He came the long way. Um, he is a huge kid, weight wise, biggest, not close. Really, six four, six three rather. Excuse me, six three and a half, two hundred thirty one pounds already. Oh, that's big whoa, kid. whoa! Yeah. I don't know what he's eating in Dana Point, but <laughs> it's working. He's gonna it, fit right not, in. It, it, it can't be all sushi if he's two thirty one. He's gotta be. He's a little, little more than just suit. Wow, 230. No, right. he's big. He looks like a, a, a guy and, and that's this already. Kid, and he, he's not 17 yet, right? Oh, he, uh, Dylan O'Brien's 17. Oh, he is 17. Okay. okay. He turned 17 in August. Or, excuse me, not August. Um, April. So he's not 17 yet. Oh, wait, yeah. Well, did. April. April, yeah. he turned In April, he did. Um, so Nebraska's got a guy that's different. Mike Riley's going gonna to work. If he gets, he's got, he's he's the Oregon State quarterback, you know, the the big, big strong, big kid, right, right. He, you know, he, they're all big. You're guys. right. They're all, yeah. They're all six five. They're all two hundred and thirty. They're all, yep. That's all of them. That's yeah. Eric Anderson. That's yeah. Right. Only one was right. Sean. Didn't Joey Harrington come out of there? Who was Oregon? Where's that Oregon? Ah. He was a duck. Yeah, he was a duck. But yeah, I mean, so Dylan O'Brien was great too. Um. Those are the two guys that stood out to me, man, um, for the most part. Brandon Peters, I'll give him a little shout-out, too, since he's a guy I talked to a little bit. I uh, wish Bree was on the show because he's a Michigan guy. He loves Brandon Peters. But um, <laughs> Brandon Peters is another guy. I mean, Jim Harbaugh's just got a lot of quarterbacks. He's going to know. He loves quarterbacks. Yeah. Brandon Peters is a big boy, too. He, he's 6'4", um, 215 pounds, so he's not too, too shabby himself. A big kid, man. Um, a baseball player. He's got to change his delivery a tad bit. It's kind of sidearmish. Long, um, kind of long sidearmish, right? Yeah. Yeah, man. he plays third base, so 
he just got out of baseball, so I'm not going to hold it to him. Um, when he okay. just transitioned from baseball and then goes straight to – he hasn't thrown, he said, a football in, like, four months. So Wow. <laughs> which he probably so, needs to still throw on the side, but it's hard. I played baseball, I think, so I, I, I didn't throw football. But uh, our quarterback did, though. Um, he played shortstop and he was a quarterback. So I understand how hard that is uh, for some guys, especially when you're dedicated to baseball. Um, but you got to throw a little different. You That's the right motion now. Throwing motion, yeah. And, and he'll, he's got a new year high school to work on, and he's quitting baseball, actually. Um, Somebody needs to tell uh, Russell Wilson that. They need to put that clause in his contract that's coming up. Well, there, yeah, there's lots of guys who, who, I mean, most of the quarterbacks that are in the NFL play baseball coming up. Now, some yeah. of them gave it up at some point along the line. Usually, if most of them are in the high school. Sign a no, but, uh, they make you but, sign a no. Uh, football, uh, only football clause, really. Some, some do, some do, some don't. I mean, the like Lions didn't do Manziel. the Lions, right? The Lions didn't do that with Matt Stafford, but Matt Stafford wasn't that good a baseball player. So he's a good one. Yeah. Um, back when he and Kershaw were, uh, you know, a battery back in high school. Yeah, you know, they, Kershaw was his Kershaw was his center when they played football, and then Stafford used to catch Kershaw when uh, when Kershaw pitched. Exactly, and Stafford. Had, I mean, that was a he was a well, he was a top catcher, but he could have went D1, I mean, to a few schools. Yeah. And he quit a senior yep. year. So did Johnny. A lot of people just quit a senior year because they figured all these camps now that they can join, <laughs> you know, let's just go ahead and play football year out and get better at that and right. want to be a superstar quarterback. So I think that's what Brandon Peters uh, – and probably Harbaugh is probably like, you know, go ahead and put down the tape, you know, if you want to come So When did Harbaugh yeah. running around with his shirt off lately? Yeah, he was at the camp, um, and uh, <laughs> up there. A satellite camp, a, yeah, a satellite camp. Satellite camp. Yeah, it was yeah, one yeah, of the satellite camps. Yeah, he was like grown, but not. <laughs> he's he's just trying to he's connecting with kids, man. Like that's right. He's, he's doing with the kids. Yeah. He's, he's, yep, he's doing his. He's doing his. It's funny because people always talk about the the sort of friction between he and Pete Carroll, but those are actually two very similar guys in terms of how they approach working with young men. And they are, I, I could see Pete Carroll doing exactly the same thing, quite frankly. Uh, I don't want to see that. <laughs> oh, Pete, Pete did that at State before mm-hmm. Jim did. Mm-hmm. It's not like it's a competition. No one wants to see those guys that show up. I mean, Pete, <laughs> Pete did that. Yeah, he did that. Like, no, him and Matt Liner were throwing no shirt on or whatever. I don't know. They didn't want to see Matt Liner, maybe, not Pete Carroll, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's just a lot, though. When, well, speaking of Matt Liner. Uh, Pete Carroll didn't want his, even his own quarter, former quarterback, you know, even to be Russell Wilson's backup. He didn't want to bring back Matt Leiner. Yeah, that's the guy that won in 2000. Um, yeah, I believe 11. And yeah, I mean, he's he's had it rough, man, but he, he'll be okay. He, he, he probably come, Yeah, he's, he, he's going to be a good quarterback because he wants to do it. Oh, the kids will love him. Um, yeah. Anytime he wants to go back, with Coach Sarks and then T. Martin and those guys are out here with Trent Dilfer or whatever since he won competition before. He'll be fine. You know, well, let me just um, say this. He can do it. It's because if Colt McCoy can be in the league, um, of course, Matt Leiner can. Much better talent. I agree. <laughs> I, I, I Arm talent mainly. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's still got some juice, man. He's not that old. He looks dirty, but <laughs> I don't know he's if he's still not a chance, though. No, but he's just, you know, 
settling down, man. I don't think he's going to get another chance. No, he's, 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 he, I think he's going to be in the media for a little while, and then maybe if the coaching bug bites him, you know, in a couple of years he might move on to that. The thing is, he's a single oh. dad, right? Isn't he a single father? Hmm? Yes, he is a single father. He's, um, so he's a single dad. So right now he's really focusing on raising raising, you know, his, oh, yeah. his kids. He's, all, he's always a coal. His son, his son is like number one by far. I mean, he's got a girlfriend too, but <laughs> um, he's always a cold man. I mean, Cole's old now. It's still like, I remember when he was born, he's like 11 or something like that. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, because he had him like first year out of, uh, out of college. So, um, yeah, he's a single dad. Um, that must be hard for most of those players too to have kids right out of college transitioning to the NFL, all that travel being away. Well, yeah, especially the ones that are single. So, yeah, yeah, well, it's challenging. It is challenging, and that's why I think when people talk about the life skills and the transition, they're forgetting that for a bunch, you know, a bunch of these guys, as young as they are, some of them have had kids for years. I mean, Trip Richardson's kid turned six during his senior season. I mean, I mean, that's his uh, rookie season. And he, he, had, he had a kid when he was what? He had a kid when he was from like 16. So, yeah, remember, um, there's, more pressure. There's, more, there's more pressure on some of these guys than you realize. These are guys that have families. They're, their parents sometimes are depending upon them. They're younger brothers and younger sisters. And then sometimes like, many of them have children. Many of them have children. Um, like I said, for Matt Leinert, and you know, we'll move on from Matt Leinert, uh, his focus right now is his, his family situation. And I think in a few years, like I said, he may want to look at coaching. But coaching is such a grind that if you want to be a really great dad, especially if you're a single parent, it's almost impossible to be a coach. And who wants to keep that hair, though? <laughs> yeah, he, he's, lo- he's loving TV anyway, too, right now. Like, like we'll say, and, uh, so, yeah, he'll be all right. He's We don't need to collect. We don't need to start collecting funds from Matt Leonard. He'll be okay. No, no, no. He's got he's got one kid. Maybe he'll push out another one. <laughs> so he's not pushing out. But yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> Get another one. <laughs> he's still a young young guy, so we'll see. But yeah, okay. Um, so okay. Go, so go ahead, Donovan. Please. No, I was gonna say I was gonna ask you just another question. Oh. You mentioned sort of the guys that caught your attention most and the guys that made the most growth. Who were the guys that maybe I'm not gonna say that they were disappointing, but but guys that maybe left you thinking I was expecting to see a little more. A little bit more. Um, let's start off with Derek Cooper. Well, not Derek, it's Derek. It's the Z. <laughs> he definitely okay. heard the people about that. <laughs> He's going to Clemson. Um, people were comparing yeah. him to Sean Watson. People were comparing him to Sean Watson a lot, and it's not fair. Deshaun was here a couple of years ago. Amazing, of course, because he's Deshaun Watson. He didn't win. Right. But just because you don't win Elite 11 doesn't mean you're not great because – I can tell you the list of quarterbacks of one. Yeah, it ain't good. <laughs> it's not great. Right. It's, the guys that were was, here right. were all good. <laughs> it's not great. Yeah, the year he, Watson lost to um, – he wasn't even second place. He was actually no. Seth – Sean White from Auburn and then Kyle Allen, who's great too, yep. and then Deshaun Watson third. But, um, so uh, you know, Blake Bell won. You know, um, right, you know, right, exactly. John Brown exactly. won, Harrison Beck won. I mean, Nate Longshore won. Yep. So it's it's a lot of guys win, but yeah, Sean Watson's great. Derek, Derek Cooper, comparison to me, slow down mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, he's athletic as Deshaun Watson, 
the accuracy is bad. Um, he can he can he can hit a throw in a pocket. All his throws have to be on the run. Um, but you know George and, and Jordan were making him. He was when Jordan Palmer's group. Jordan's a pocket guy. He's an old school type of you know big quarterback. He, he needed that quarterback. Guys. He needed that quarterback. He's he's a good coach though. He's an amazing coach. He's one of the best top five. He got the way he got Blake Bortles. Big at Blake Bortles. Um, did get Blake Bortles. Yeah, he did a good job with Blake. Um, so yeah, jo- Jordan just had him in the pocket. Zaire couldn't hit the throws. Um, he had to be on the run. So he's got a little while to go. I know that offense is mostly on the move anyway, but you still got to be. The reason why Deshaun Watson is so great because he can do both, and Clemson yep. not really had that. You know, Todd is amazing. Don't get me wrong, but I think Watson's potential is a little bit better than Todd boys. Um, well, there's, there's two main differences. Two main differences. Taj was a guy that could get you, you know, some yards. But, but, but the big difference is that he wasn't a guy that could make wow plays with his feet. With Deshaun Watson, you have a guy that, that has. With a guy like Deshaun Watson, you have a guy who can make wow plays with his feet. He can do those Randall Cunningham type things. He can make people miss. He can jump over people. He can run away from people. And he has enough. And he has enough going on in his head and enough going on in his arm that he can win for the pocket. He can make all the throws. He can understand and learn quickly enough that if you want to add more to your offense, you can put things in. You don't have to take stuff out. You can put things in. You can add to your offense because you can grasp it stuff quickly enough. He has a chance to be a superstar if he continues oh, yeah. to grow and focus and stays healthy. He does. He showed that, that here. Ha- like I said, he, he showed it here. Um, it was only, man, it seems like yesterday. <laughs> but um, it was only a what? Uh, I say, yeah, 2013. He was here, yep, you know. Um, I'm gonna be the only and, one when people. Sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. Oh, yeah. Well, I was gonna say when people are already uh, pumping him down, you know, like when he's going through that dr- combine process when it comes time, I'm pro- I'm gonna probably be the only one still on that boat pumping pumping my fist when he gets drafted. I love making Sean Watson. I love yeah, him well, too. Well, Sean Watson has, has, a, has an endless amount of talent, and he's, he has a chance to be what people thought Johnny Manziel would be. He has a chance to what actually be. What do you think Johnny Manziel would be? I don't think or, he'd be or, much. There were, there were a lot of RG, or RG3. I mean, that's what he gets compared to a lot. I honestly didn't yeah, see he, what was RG3 to really do. RG3 I really was didn't terrific. see the talent. It, it was, he was a major run. That's it. Well, first of all, no, that's not that's really not the fact. He led the nation in completions of, of passes of 25 yards or more. So, no, you're just wrong about that. Plus, he, was, he, wasn't, surrounded, he wasn't surrounded by the talent they have at Baylor now. When he arrived at Baylor, he was the oh, biggest yeah. 20 yeah, years, really? dude. And he was surrounded by basically two-star talent for the, most of that team that was around him when he first got there, and he carried that team. And he did run more than I would like, but he had to. They didn't have Shock Linwood in those days. They didn't have, the, you know, these terrific running backs that they now have at Baylor. They had decent guys, you know. Well, I mean, that's I mean, NFL career. But I, I, was, I was disappointed. That, so but that's not, yeah, but that's, that's, we're not talking about that. We're talking about him as a prospect. So Manziel, as a prospect, was a guy that did a lot of flashy things, but people forgot he was surrounded by really good talent, first of all. I mean, Mike Evans, he may have just, he could have been like how, Taj Boyd was surrounded with DeAndre Hopkins, Sammy Watkins, Martavis Bryant. How was and Dwayne Allen? He was 
did his build Andre Owens, and he was surrounded by all that talent. And now, but I focused how Johnny Manziel was basically surrounded by similar talent. You got Ricky Seals Jones, who I love. You got Mike Evans. You got the all those offensive line who can who's basically allowing him to do all his run play. Well, he, and he like had and he played with some really good running backs. So, I mean, there was a, they had a lot of talent at Texas Manhattan, is what I was just driving at. And vastly superior to the talent that surrounded Robert Griffin III in most of his career, it was sort of towards the end of his career at, at, at uh, Baylor that they began to start bringing in, partially due to what he had done. I mean, they, the reason they call their new facility is called, it's called the house that RG3 built. Baylor football went from being not even – I mean, there were a lot of Baylor kids, kids at Baylor, who weren't that excited about Baylor football. Now, the entire community of Waco, right, well, not just that, but the entire community of Waco has coalesced around Baylor football in a way that they have not since the the high point of the Grant Taft era was the last time that Waco fully embraced Baylor football. So, RG3 changed the, he was a game changer. He was a program builder for Baylor. So yeah, he was. He was. He, he he changed the entire vector of that program. And he did it a lot, not all by himself, but he did a lot of it by himself. He did a lot of that based on just his own raw talent. And, yes. Um, basically, since they're running a spread system, and people were knocking that same thing with Bryce Petty. Oh, he has a lot of things to work on since he's coming from the spread. Why didn't well, they, they all, say they all things about they didn't say a lot about that yeah, with RG3. Yeah, they did. I, I don't know, I who, I don't know you listen to. Everybody said that, yeah, because it, cause everything was so simplified. Everybody said that. Everybody, I, every, Chad McShay said it. Kuiper said it. All the, the what's mixed up. Uh, all of them said, well, I mean, I'm just saying all everybody said, said it. But most people were, like, everybody said it, but most people were alleviated by it because RG3 came off as a very, you know, bright, you know, Chris uh, Petty was bright and all that, but guy. obviously not the same talent. But I think what they everybody do everybody brought up that he was a spread quarterback, and just everybody ignored it because everybody thought he was smart enough to it'd be an easy transition. Yeah, it's 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 some of the it's funny that you guys are talking about Baylor, um, because uh, Phil Montgomery was here. I love that opening kid. Uh, Shalom is great. He is great. Phil Montgomery was here, the offensive coordinator, you know, during his uh, RG3 season with our boss. Our, I mean, Art and Phil have had, you know, just as much to do, I guess, as RG3 about Baylor coming back. Yeah. I mean, they've been there since the start. Um, yeah. They found their kid. I mean, I'm not taking anything away from RG3. I just think Phil Montgomery and Art Prowls, they've been together their whole career, from high school yep. to Baylor. So, I mean, and they're still there. Well, Philip is gone now. He, he took the Kansas job. But we'll see how he does the head coach. But Art is amazing. We know Art Browns does. Um, he's a spread guy, but it's different spread, I feel like. And that's what right. they're talking well, about. Remember, Art Bryles himself was a very fine wide receiver and was a great wide receiver's coach. He was, but he came from triple option offense. That's what offense he played in as a player. I'm obviously the only one who remembers Art Bryles as a player, but he was a very fine wide receiver. But unfortunately, playing triple option offense, he didn't see the ball a lot. But he absorbed a lot of the things about why triple option was hard to defend. And even when he made the adaptation as a high school coach to throwing the football, he always kept that – he knew the things that made it 
tough to defend triple option, and he managed to hold on to some of that, which is why his offense is built the way it is. He's like, basically, if you think about it, he's still running essentially triple option principles, but based around a formation that spreads you out as much as you can be spread. They spread you on the offensive line with the big line split. Yeah. They put their receivers out as fuck. If their receivers were any farther out of the wide receivers, they would have to buy tickets because they'd be in the stands. So yeah. they I, they literally want to make you defend, as you say, every blade of, blade of grass. But they also want to make sure that they make you wrong. And so instead of pitching the ball laterally or backwards, he wants to do the same things, but he's pitching the ball, you know, 20, 15, 7, 8, 30, whatever yards down the field, but running the same concept. So he's, he's making, he's saying, here's your running lane. And instead of your running lane being behind the line of scrimmage, like in a traditional triple option that he grew up in under Bill Yeoman's style offense, he's saying, I'm going to take these running lanes and elongate them forward down the field, but we're still forcing this guy to freeze and we're doing the solid same ride and decide. We're doing some of the same stuff, but instead of this guy being here, we might orbit motion this guy. He might end up, like I said, 30 yards down the field when you pitch it to him instead of behind the line of scrimmage. But he's still forcing you to put athletes that he thinks aren't as good as his athletes and make and say, okay, I'm putting this athlete against your athlete in space. I think my guy's going to beat your guy. And he's right more often than he's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I guess full circle was there Cooper. <laughs> I know I made the Deshaun Watson character in RG3 and Baylor yep. started. But yeah, but you know, Zarek Cooper went to Gainesville High School, um, Gainesville, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yep. that's with Deshaun Watson. He's going to Clemson. Yep. He's an African American quarterback. <laughs> he is the same size almost. He's a little bit smaller than Deshaun. So I mean, he's going to get carried in probably forever, you know? Um, <laughs> just how it's going to happen. But, um, you know, we'll see. Uh, he was an actor a little bit, like I said. And um, the most disappointing guy, I, I'm not going to bash. A teenage kid. I never will. I'm not, I'm not, but, no, I'm not, I'm not saying bad. But, I'm just saying yeah, the but, guys that you were led to expect a little more from than you actually saw. That's all I'm saying. No, I know, I know. I'm just gonna. I'm just saying you for I'm going to say. <laughs> um, Malik Henry, man. Um, he made it to the Elite Eleven, but he, I mean, he made a lot off of what he's already done. Um, he looked just. He, I don't know, man. He's just had a bad offseason. He got kicked out of IMG Academy already. He just got there. Um, Wait, did they kicked out of? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Basically, I mean, I talk to people, so <laughs> I know what what goes on for real, for real. Um, he, he left. He left. They're not. They're not gonna. They're not gonna say they kicked him out. They don't want to make Malik Henry look that bad. But uh, he oh, was pretty much oh. forced out. He was gonna get suspended from from school from IMG, so he just went ahead and uh, packed his bag. You know, left. He just got there, though. Um, he moved from. He was at a great high school. He was at Westlake Village High School, which is a oh, powerhouse. I know Westlake um, Village. Yeah, yeah. Good Lord, the Clawsons and uh, mm-hmm. uh, Malcolm. What was it? What happened to that kid? They had a. What yeah. was that running back? Oh, um, Mark Tyler. Mark Tyler was there. Um, yeah, Tyler. There was another running back after that who was a beast in high school, at least, and then he went to. UCLA, and I never really heard from him again. Um, yeah, um, I can't think of his name, but yeah, he ended up moving to safety. This was a position from running back to safety. But yeah, he yeah. Was, they were at, they were at Oak Christian, which is in Westlake Village, but close yeah, enough. Yeah, they're Westlake. rivals. Yeah, they're rivals. <laughs> one's a private, one's public. But uh, he was at he was at Westlake Village, uh, a great school that's made the playoffs seven years in a row. 
um, CIS out, out here. And um, he transferred to IMG. Obviously, they've been showing out guys. He thought he was going to work with Chris Winkie. Um, Chris is gone. Um, you should never leave for a position coach. They always say that. It's even true in high school sometimes. But IMG's great yeah. anyway, so he's going to stick around. It's just a good place to go if you just purely want to play football, you know, um, and, and work out. And it'd be close to Florida State where he's committed to going anyway. So the move was reasonably good. But he ran into some issues, um, being late. Um, this is not a, a normal high school. Uh, we've already talked about this. No. They, are, like in, they are in full – force right now. Most high schools are like, go ahead and take time off and do whatever. Go on Tinder. I don't know. High school kids stuff. Like, <laughs> you know, play Xbox. Like, do whatever you want. You know, it's summer. You know, but this IMG Academy, they're practicing still right now. Don't get time off like normal high school kids. Um, they're in a weight room. And I don't think he got that fully. He knew it, but he didn't get uh... it. Show- and it self-entitled him a little bit. Lee Kenny is a complete package quarterback. Uh, he gets to play with James Winston a lot. Obviously, he's going to Florida State. He's already been coached by Chris Winkie a little bit. Um, he's, Chris Rick loves him still, and he's mentoring him right now, which is great. Like I said, he's a good man, so he's a good person to coach you up. They just ran into some issues. Um, I don't like to call anyone lazy, <laughs> but, you know, he just he showed up late all the time, you know, for the first three months he was there. So they don't, and it's a, new co- it's a new coach. Chris Winkie isn't a coach anymore. Um, you right. can't just keep using. I've already worked with Chris Winkie before. I mean, he's not the coach anymore. He's gone. They have a new coach. And he, a new coach is from Indiana. He's an old-school type of guy. Um, he's changing IMG just a tad bit as far as they're not taking – just because you're good at football, they're not going to take you in anymore. Um, they've gotten in huh. trouble a little bit uh, with that <laughs> because of grades and stuff. Um, they haven't right. gotten actual trouble, but they're leaning that way. <laughs> so they changed it up a little bit with the new head coach. Um, he coached Gunnar Keel. So he's a good quarterback guy, too, um, Indiana guy, like I said. So he was disappointing, you know. Um, I don't know what high school he's going to now. I don't know if he's going to go back to Wesley Village. Um, a lot of, he's kind of a recruit. Some people say he might go to Long Beach Poly. Um, huh. That would be interesting. I don't, that would be – man, <laughs> their team's going to be ridiculous if they get him back quarterback. Um, we'll see where he goes. Um, even St. John Bosco was mentioned, which also – but um, we'll see. You know, they have to relocate his family, so they're actually going to let him move for it's for football reasons. But since his family had to relocate, it, it, he's going to be fine. He's going to be cleared. Um, he, I know his family wants to move back to California, so they'll probably come back to Southern California um, in the next month. But uh, we'll see. He just had a bad day. Um, really, Sunday. Uh, um, I just – he was just kind of like he's so animated when he misses a pass. When he misses the pass, rather. Um, kind of like Johnny a little bit, which he is already wow. friends with Johnny. He's friends with him and Kyler Murray uh, already. But he's got to just tone it down. You don't have to be so animated when he misses the pass. You don't have to curse. You're in high school, man. They're looking at you like you're still a kid to them. You know, um, when you're in college and do it, I think it's a little bit different. When you're throwing out F-balls when you're 17 years old, they're kind of like, <laughs> man, you know, cal- calm down a little bit, especially with Chris Rick being, you know, very, very, uh, very evangelical. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah you got to tone that down. Um, I'm not judging the guy at all, but I know some people were, like, kind of questioning why he has a tattoo on his leg um, right before. And I don't know if any of you guys have tattoos. I do. And if you get a tattoo on your leg <laughs> uh, when you're 
the day before you're going to a camp, it hurts. That just hurts. <laughs> you know, um, they swell up the next day. It's actually doesn't hurt that bad when you get a tattoo, but the day after is the worst day. So I don't know why he would get a leg tattoo. And they complained about it to Trent Dilfer. Um, Trent Dilfer's like, why would you get a leg tattoo? You know, get the tattoo after. You know, why, why, why are you getting a leg tattoo So right it sounds like what you're summing up is some maturity issues. I mean, it sounds like what you're, not, not you're bashing the kid, but there's some, no. And he's young. I mean, you expect maturity issues, but, like, the ability to see this might not be a good idea. Maybe I need to be on time. Maybe I shouldn't get a leg tattoo before the most important workout of my life are things that maybe <laughs> – he isn't quite at his head yet. Um, and that's, I'm, what, I'm a, that's, what, that's what they reported at Bleacher Report, because they're the ones that reported that signs and stuff. And they said the main reason was maturity issues with, with uh, Coach Kevin on the yeah. day was just maturity issues and showing up on time is part of maturity issues too and the light tattoo, like you said. So got little it. things, but they add up. And this is a big, this is a big time interview, man. You got Whitfield and Palmer and, and Dilter and all these guys here. You can't, and, you know, Nike guys. You can't do that. They're going to remember right. you from five, five years from now. Yes. You know, when you want to sign a Nike contract. <laughs> so. Right. But I believe Matthew. Be okay. So hold on. It, Matthew, is that you who joined us? Matthew? Yeah, sorry. I had my mute button on. Oh, okay. Just making sure. Um, so, yeah, we're <laughs> about to. Well, I'll let you, I'll let you also ask. Um, we have our on-the-spot reporter, Nobbin James, reporting from, from Elite 11. Did you have any questions for him? No, I'm I'm actually I'm playing catch up as far as uh like high school and college ball. I I grew up mostly overseas as a military brat, so I I followed the NFL real closely, but it was hard to follow any high school or football stuff since I was right. moving all the time. So now right. that I'm right. n- now that I'm back settled and and stuff, I'm going to start, you know, digging more into the high school and college level, but yeah, right now I, I'd be totally lost. <laughs> <laughs> Not a problem. Well, I, I grew up in Virginia Beach, Virginia, so uh, my father was out by the time I was born, but I had lo- I had a different best friend like every year from about first grade to about ninth grade because of the Navy. So I, I know of whence you speak. Um, where'd you grow up mostly? What parts of the world? Um, so I spent about 10 years in England. Um, it oh, wow. wasn't all together in a row. Uh, it was There was about five and a half years at one point, and then there was about another three and a half later on. Uh, but oh. England, Russia, Spain, Maryland, oh. uh, all over California. Okay. Well, welcome. <laughs> welcome. Um, Thank you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw it back to Jim then. Jim, any, any last uh, 11 questions before we start transitioning? Uh, so you said it's uh, the Elite Eleven, but they had seventeen <laughs> quarterbacks. They did choose. They did choose seventeen this year um, instead of eleven. So yeah, there's seven. There's six extra guys. <laughs> so, so would it be the Elite Seventeen? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think. Uh, I don't think they're gonna change the name. That's a Nike decision. Trent, Trent can change a lot of stuff, but he's not gonna change the name. But yeah, basically, um, it's the seventeen guys up there, which. I'm sure Nike won't, you know, they can afford six extra kids, you know, up there for a week. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I bet they can swing it somehow. I think they're okay. But, yeah, that's 17. Actually, you know, uh, uh, James, uh, I guess when I get some of the numbers back from, from Beaverton, I'll try to talk to you, um, since you're the metric guy. I know you don't really do high school, but I know you're trying to dabble in it now. So <laughs> it'll be a good year to start, maybe. Um, they don't have official numbers yet, like I said, until next month, but um, – 
we'll get some. Uh, we'll get some in, and I'll like to discuss some with you. See, yeah, see sure. we can find. Yeah. Okay, excellent. Well, first of all, Donovan, your stuff is gold, man. I know I've said this before, but I'll say it again. Uh, you might not be the biggest name in in high school recruitment, but I don't think I can't think of too many people who are doing better work. Your stuff is thorough and consistent. Um, when, when you say something, I know you've researched it. I don't hear wild and crazy stuff from you, and you're as accurate as I'll get out. I mean, I I almost never find myself thinking, "What the heck was Donovan thinking?" I mean, usually uh, everything you say pretty much plays out. So I love the fact that you 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 work really hard at this, obviously. Oh, I appreciate it. Um, I appreciate you guys having me. I don't have to talk about football. I know it's not really this is a draft show mainly, but um, but know, hey, it starts, starts here. Yeah, this is where it begins. This is where it begins, and that's the one the one of the reasons I wanted to do it. And I like I said, thank you guys, and uh, I'm just grateful to be. I was probably the smallest guy there, as far as name. Um, but I was, I was there. So it was fun. No one was really like asking Donovan James any questions there. But um, I was watching, man. I was looking out. I was texting. I think I think Montel actually texted a couple quarterbacks he wanted to see. There's a Northwestern guy out there, which has never happened. Um, no, that does never happen. You're right about that. It's true. Well, they got a guy, possibly a guy. He hasn't committed, but it's on his top three, which kids, you know, they commit before their senior season now, so we'll figure it out. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was great. Um, we had a guy on the show already that's at Italy wasn't, KJ Castillo. So oh, thank yeah. you for KJ, having him on. Yeah, KJ is – he's football, he's super mature, and that's one thing that jumped out. If I were a 16-year-old, somebody, you know, was asking me a whole bunch of questions about well, everything about my life, football, whatever. I don't know if I would have handled them anywhere close to as well as he did. Yeah, he's great, always. Um, he's been that way for a while, very uh, good kid. He would have been on today. His family, they got a trip going to Roma, Italy. I wish I could go wow. on a trip. <laughs> At 17, I was just hopefully glad to go on a trip to, like, San Diego. <laughs> Or like <laughs> whatever the beach, <laughs> but yeah. He, so I was like, you know what? It's okay, man. That you can't be on because you're going to Italy. Don't come on. <laughs> Go. <laughs> you know, don't miss your flight. <laughs> oh. Wow. But yeah, but yeah man. Um, tall, good-looking, big arm, and traveling the world. It must be nice. It's nice, man. It's nice. This is a great, uh, great thing. But yeah, I mean, and, and some of the quarterbacks you'll see some of the quarterbacks from last year. Um, they they might make an impact this year for your favorite college football team, uh, whether it's Josh yep. Rosen or, or Blake Barnett, who won the whole thing last year, um, going to Alabama or whoever, um, or maybe quarterback from a couple of years ago. There's still some guys out there um, that might win a job. Packenberg was, was here um, in 2012. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. But uh, it's a good, good group of kids, more deeper than last year, just not as top heavy. So we'll see mm-hmm. who, who wins. Uh, check it out. It's going to be on, like I said, ESPN2 and ESPN U if you guys have those channels. I believe the dates are um, it's July 5th through the 11th. So got a whole week. But, you know, it's a, it's, a good, it's a good process. I won't be up there, of course, you know. Not that big time. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll be watching, though, and texting some guys. Yep. Yep. Well, we'll, we'll tell you talk about that. 
And, you know, Donovan, once again, you know, even when we're not talking high school stuff, you're always invited. You, anytime you can make it, always make it. And, and you, hey, you, as a kid who grew up in the San Diego area, and even though you weren't really a San Diego fan, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some camp battle stuff that's going on. So we have our local San Diego experts, semi-expert at least, and impact rookies, uh, rookies that might help to change the fortunes of the, of the Chargers. So, Matthew, once again, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, you, well, I'll just ask you, first of all, what did you, how did you feel about the draft as it shook out for your team, for the Chargers? So, as it started, uh, we were all pretty uh, frustrated um, watching it unfold. We, uh, those of us on, uh, on Bolts from the Blue, we, uh, we definitely did not think that running back was uh, what we should have gone with in the first round. Um, but after the pick was made, we were like, okay, so we can get behind this. So uh, we figured uh, offensive line in round two or three, and then that didn't happen. <laughs> and we, uh, <laughs> we, we both, both the second and third round picks we thought were, were reaches. Um, a lot of us did like Den- – we liked Denzel Perryman. We just didn't see the need. Um, sure. I, it, we, now, I, I, saying that, uh, I did think that Donner, Donald Butler needs to be replaced. But mm-hmm. with him signing that big contract, it didn't make sense this year. They're, like they, they're basically financially, it doesn't make sense to get rid of him this year. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that camp battle shakes out between Butler, Mantateo, and uh, Denzel Perryman at at middle linebacker. Um, and then in the third round, there was another big, the, the biggest reach shocker in our opinion was it was the Craig Maker pick. Um, none of us were expecting that. Um, and we still don't see exactly how he fits. Uh, apparently with Eric Weddle out so far holding out, he's been playing free safety, um, in, in taking a lot of reps there. Um, which is, was a shock to us because we, in all of our analysis and, and watching tape, we didn't see safety traits. We did see some, some decent corner ta- uh, traits, but we didn't see how he translated over to safety, especially free safety. Um, so that'll be definitely interesting. It'll be it, it'll be interesting to watch. I know what it will play this year. It's a question mark to see when he'll be coming back to camp, but um, he, Mayer's definitely not going to be starting at free safety next to Julio Adai in the backfield. Um, and the, the rest of the draft, uh, we obviously we didn't have a fourth-round pick again. Because uh, Tom Telesco hates fourth round draft picks, apparently. Apparently, yeah. He doesn't like to go. <laughs> it's, I'm I'm surprised he hasn't started trading future fourths at this point. Like, just get them off the books. They're burning a hole. Um, but we got some good outside linebacker depth. Um, we got a uh, manual out of uh, I think it was manual uh, out of uh, North Dakota State. So he's a small school yep. guy, but he definitely plays with a good motor. Um, and, but it, it'll be interesting cause he played DN there. Um, so it's, it'll be a transition to teach him outside linebacker, but apparently he's been doing pretty well. Yep. And he's tough as nails. I mean, all those kids from that, kids like football in that part of the country are pretty much always tough as nails. So I guess it's not really a surprise, but he is, he's tough as nails, tough kid, smart yeah. kid too. Yeah, he is. He's definitely, and everything I, we've been hearing is that he's picking things up very quickly. He's, he's adapting well to coaching. 
And that uh, that was actually one of the things that I thought the Chargers did very well this offseason was bringing in um, um, bringing in that new linebackers coach, bringing in uh, what's his name, <laughs> um, former head coach. Uh, Mike Nolan, that's right. Nolan, 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 yeah, yeah, Mike Nolan. Yeah, Yeah, he apparently, everyone's been raving about the job that he's been doing so far. Um, And so I think that'll be really good for all of these guys because it's it's a really huge turnover. We lost, between Dwight Freeney and Jared Johnson leaving, we lost almost 30 years of NFL experience and over, uh, I think, almost 1,200 snaps of playing time last year between the two of them. Um, so it's it's almost a, a fresh group. And so it, it, starting over with a with a new outlook, with a new linebackers coach, I think that's going to do good for them and, and let them build as a unit. Um, and from, every, like I said, everything I've been reading is he's picking it up very quickly. He's He's done, doing very well. He he's lost a few pounds since the combine, and he's moving well in linebacker drills. Um, so I, I think I think there's definitely a bright spot there. Um, I, I'm obviously not predicting him to be a starter day one, but I think he'll come in and provide some quality depth. I think he'll probably have more of an impact in his rookie year than uh, Turek Williams did when when they took him in the fifth round a couple of years ago. Excuse me. Yeah. I I think that they've certainly bolstered a few positions. I'm going to bring Jim in. First of all, Jim, obviously you and I both like Mr. Maker more than, than probably a lot, a lot of fans do, just because we've probably seen more of him. And, we, and I know you, from a metrics standpoint, found some qualities in, and also in his production, some things that sort of gave you reason to believe he might be a really good, good pickup for them. But looking at their draft, looking at the San Diego draft, what things struck you, metrically speaking, about that draft they had, Jim? Well, I mean, Melvin Gordon, I, yeah, I kind of understand sort of the, okay, so we're taking taking this, especially with the offensive line issues um, that they have, I was wondering when exactly they were going to get a tackle or, um, wait, I'm sorry. Uh, with the Chargers. Oh, Chargers. Yeah, I was just. King Dunlap was pretty good, though. Uh, with who? King Dunlap. King Dunlap. Yeah. The starting left tackle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I know. He gave up like less. I think he gave up six sacks total last year. Oh, only six. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, he was solid. I don't think anybody was expecting a left Nobody tackle. Nobody thought that. I was. I, it was, was going to be replacing. The other possibly yeah. like at least giving competition to DJ Fluker over there on the right side. Right, he's sort of been a bust like that at most right now until he did anything else. Right, and 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 a lot of that I will give him a lot of credit that that he hasn't had help next to him. Johnny Troutman is absolutely awful <laughs> at right guard. He he's, an a, he's an abomination. We had five <laughs> starting centers last year. Well, they have Arlena wow, yeah. Franklin now, so he Fluker can tune to guard again. Yeah, right. Or he's and been so, playing yeah, better. Exactly, and so I, I think, I think it, it'll just, it basically at this point, it looks like they're gonna let um, Barksdale now flute uh, Chris Watt. He's uh, he because I know they're a long-time center. Nick something yeah, retired. Nick Hardwick. Yeah, he retired. Hardwick retired. Yeah. 
but it's now it's Chris Watt. He he was on the offensive line at Notre Dame. Uh, played almost every position on the line at Notre Dame. But he's actually he's yep. uh, JJ Watt's little brother. Ah. So he's, he's he's got to be coming in with some good work ethic. Um, and apparently he's, <laughs> he's shown up at camp uh, in shape and ready to learn. So. Well, that's um, where anybody should be working coming in, but they right, obviously don't. Right. Know. I mean, yeah. So I, I, I think. I'm in yeah, case. I think it's. I think at this point, it's basically they're going to let Barksdale and who they signed as a free agent and Fluker just battle it out, and whoever looks better at camp is going to play right tackle, and they'll try whoever's left at right guard. Um, I liked how the Chargers' offensive line went when Hartwick went down. They basically found like two Pro Bowl type centers right behind him, possibly. Like, it's surprisingly good depth last year at center. Yeah, they were able to find... Yeah, they they were able to find good depth at at center. Um, They brought in a couple guys. They brought in Trevor Robinson on a one-year contract. He did well until he got hurt. Um, And they've re-signed him now to to keep him for a while. Um, They did have uh, Chris Watt play at center a little bit last year. Um... I mean, it's just it. It was such a revolving door. As soon as Hardwick w- went down, it was anyone who you know weighed close to 300 pounds and had a number on their jersey between 50 and 70 was playing there. <laughs> yeah, they had a revolt. It was like the center of the of the week club for a while there. Right. Yeah, it was they played well every week. But then they can hurt. Well, some Sorry? of the So, getting back well, to sort of the metrical analysis of the draft, Jim, uh, who were some of the sort of lowlights and highlights in your mind of the of the Chargers draft? Well, I mean, Melvin Gordon uh, had very good production in college as running back, obviously. Um, it wasn't elite, but it was near elite. That's the best way to explain it. Uh, athlete, he tested kind of like James Starks as an athlete, uh, which isn't bad. I mean, James Starks is actually above average athlete. And You're comparing him to James Stark? As an athlete. As an athlete, oh, okay, you just okay. said. They tested very similarly as athletes. I think I'm he's not more saying he's Jamal James Charles. Stark. No, he tested yeah, nothing not like Jamal, Jamal Charles. Charles. Jamal Charles. Jamal Charles. <laughs> the person who tested more like Jamal Charles is actually Tevin Coleman, believe it or not. But uh, when it came to Melvin Gordon, um, he tested similar to James Stark. Obviously, he produced a heck of a lot more at Wisconsin compared to what James Stark was able to do at Buffalo uh, when he was in the MAC. Um, so James as White. a metric, what, what about James White? Oh, I thought, I thought you said about him at Wisconsin. Never mind, my bad. No, I'm talking about Melvin Gordon. <laughs> Sorry, my bad. Well, I mean, Melvin Gordon, I was trying to say is that pick at, at 15, uh, I – Again, if you think that he's going to be the future stud running back for you, okay. Uh, but I, I was just a little wondering, like, if you guys were going to go offensive line or something like that just because those were bigger needs, I guess. I think they should have kept Ryan Matthews and maybe, you know, bring him in slowly. If they did choose to go the same route. Ryan Matthews was good when healthy, but that was the issue. Well, obviously they were tired right. of him being healthy. It was also that line, though, too, that – help him keep upright other than his 
north and, north and south running style. You know. Sure. Now, um, there's, now there's a Chip Kelly with another north and south runner, Demarco Murray, which I don't see why he chose them. Wait, what? Other than the money. Brian Matthews. Well, yeah, they obviously were tired of the injuries and tired of, you know. But when other he came back, the offense, the offense stepped another gear up, I believe. Of course, they weren't going anywhere with Brandon Oller, who did show some things, but for a 5'9 guy, who reminded everybody yeah, of John Sproles, yeah. but if you look at it, he's not, a, he's not a feature running back. And then they're trying to talk about Donald Brown. There's a reason why he's been on another team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, I think they got good value with Melvin Gordon, but I would like to keep both of them. I mean, I... Because you don't want to rush, like, all running backs, but I guess if you have drafted in the first round, you have to. Yeah, so... I'll agree with that stuff. I... I we didn't. Uh, I didn't. I didn't have Melvin Gordon as uh, as a first round guy just on my board, um, but apparently, based on Tom Kalesko, Tom Telesco's statements, he said that they had seven players ranked as as game changing players, and he was the last one on the board. Um, so they they moved up and pulled the trigger. Um, I didn't see that. I was I was hoping that they would wait till round two or three and grab a guy I mean, like. Abdullah you later, or... you could somebody like Mike Davis or something. Okay. Well, that's what yeah. he was just saying. He, he was just saying that he wanted to address it, but probably not that early. So go, right. go ahead, Matthew, please. Yeah, I was going to say that. It, yeah, I just I, I I was hoping they'd wait till round two or three. I really like Duke. I really liked Duke Johnson. Um, I, I know he's a similar kind of body type to Brandon Oliver, but I thought he just the way he he read offenses read his line read his blocks he has better vision than Brandon Oliver a little better explosion um i really liked him i liked Abdullah. i liked um i even kind of like in the third i would i would have considered Tevin Coleman um but um i just i didn't agree with the pick in the first round we i was kind of screaming at the tv when it happened especially with the trade up right and yeah. Jim, who are some of the other things that? I mean, actually, they they have other picks. Who are some of the picks that you felt yeah, were yeah, either? Other picks. Uh, I mean, Denzel Perryman, uh, in many ways, tested kind of like a better version of Jonathan Brown. I don't know if you guys remember. Uh, yeah, from years ago, Jonathan Brown from Illinois last year. Uh, just yeah. a little bit, a little bit more shifty, uh, but similar in terms of being not really the tallest uh, player and also uh, – but but was very productive. I mean, that's the thing about uh, about uh, Perryman was that he was um, very good in terms of market share, solo tackle, and stuff like that. I do agree that it's kind of weird you pay Donald Butler all that, all that money and then you go and get a guy like Perryman. But I think that that – I think the Perryman pick might actually speak more to what they think the tail may be going forward than it does Butler, even though Butler is not exactly spectacular either. So, um, as far as the Craig Major pick goes, um, that was, a, in my personal opinion, I felt like that was a great pick for you guys. He was one of the, um, I believe he was like the second or the third most athletic cornerback 
um, defensive back overall in this draft class. Um, he also had production in the 98 percentile and 93 percentile in terms of solo tackle, pass deflection, uh, market share, uh, which is very good, uh, historically speaking. Uh, and on top of all that, he has sort of a – I mean, I understand you said that he doesn't have any safety traits, but he actually has safety traits as an athlete. Uh, he's very explosive. Uh, and very dynamic in terms of the short shoulder rebound. Um, and those are cer- certain aspects that really uh, help the safety position out a lot. Guys guys that are kind of like that, are, or zone corners especially, guys like Charles Tillman, uh, Terrence Newman, uh, Chris McAllister, Antonio Cromartie, uh, Craig Major is very similar as an athlete to those types of guys. And tape-wise, uh, he's everywhere, at least from all the tape that I've seen. I've seen a good bit of tape of him. Um, he's a guy that covers ground, uh, understands angles exceptionally well. Um, and I think that in terms of how he'll fit on your defense, uh, like I said, you have a lot of – in terms of the corners you have, Brandon Flowers is a zone corner. Uh, I, I don't mm-hmm. mean to say that's a bad thing, but that's kind of what he is uh, in terms of how he gets used and what he's best at, which is as a zone corner. Jason Brett, guy can play man, play zone. I think Major will end up being that sort of nickel sort of extra guy. You can also put him at free safety. Uh, but overall, I, I really like the Craig Major pick. So as much as – now, of course, you might say, well, couldn't they have got him later? Well, maybe, but obviously the, the Chargers board is the Chargers board. They had him higher than their board. But I think as sure. an athlete, it has a – from an athletic perspective, from a production perspective, and from a tape perspective, I felt like a day three was well, day two pick was actually warranted, especially with Good the chance. defensive back class being kind of, you know, weak at safety. Sure. So. Yeah, and 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 I'll definitely I'll I'll be more than happy to have you be way more right about this than me. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, for for the the bigger, more solid kind of DB uh, like. Mager is. I really liked Adrian Amos out of Penn State. Um, and so I had watched more of him leading up to the draft. Um, but I just, I liked it, everything I saw out of him. But I, I, I just, I, I saw Major as more of a, uh, uh, and I'm speak, comparing him to a, another former Charger here, but more of a, a Quentin Jammer type that he's very solid. Um, he's not going to make, you know, double digit interceptions every year. But he's he's not going to be a guy that you're screaming at the TV because he's getting burned or 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 biting on double moves that or missing tackles, which is that's that's what Quentin Jammer provided for the Chargers for ten years almost. Well, sure, and I would say getting Quentin Jammer in the third round, not right? Too shabby, yeah. you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's a you good know, point. You kind of kind of want your third rounder to be a, a guy that ends up being a starter um, for you. Sure. Um, as far as the rest of the draft goes, as you mentioned, Colin Annual, uh, at testing-wise and just production, testing kind of as like a rotational pass rusher guy. Um, there haven't been a lot of long-term starters, but there have been a lot of rotational backup, you know, mixed croutons in your salad type guys, I guess, in terms of <laughs> this uh, type of guy. He kind of mixes that. And he is a tough guy. He is tough now. Um, he's a guy that, you know, will play football and then he'll get in the back of his Jeep and, and go hunt, kill, kill a bear and get in and stuff like that. Um, 
But it's the first time you want. And, of course, Gary Spilon, uh from Arkansas is another guy that I, I really enjoyed his tape. Um, I was – the fit there is a little strange. I don't know if they're moving away from the 3-4, but Salone always struck me as sort of a 4-3, kind of three-tech defensive tackle. Um, I mean, I, I like him overall. I just was – I thought it was an interesting spot for him to land, I guess. Right, yeah. So, when, I, when we were watching, he definitely looked a lot more effective when he was one-gapping rather than a, 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 a two-gapping 3-4 end. Right. So I, I like the player. I just don't like the uh, um, body landed, I guess, unless they have plans for him, which and he's a very young player as well. He's one of the youngest he's tackled in the draft. So um, he played a little early. But uh, overall, I mean, I, I think your draft class, the fact that you had five picks, I felt like you could have done better. I'm just going to be honest. But I do think that you that you got – the players that are going to be starters for you. I, I, but I do agree that it was interesting that they didn't address bright tack, you know, offensive line depth or anything like that during the whole draft. Right. Oh, what was that? Do you, do you think they should draft a wide receiver like Jersey on the offense? In Allen, really? I mean, surround himself with Rivers and Blessings. If he doesn't want to be there, help him out. Make, make him want to stay. Keep them up right, offensive line, you know. Yeah, I that's I was looking at stuff like that too. I I definitely thought uh, that would have been my pick actually in the in the um uh, um in the second round. I I really liked a couple of the wide receivers that were still on the board. Um, all the guys I liked in the first were off, like um, Parker and <clears throat> etc. But um, I do think that Rivers will be a lot more happy this year with Danny Woodhead coming back off of injury. Um, I, like I said, I thought we could have drafted a wide receiver, but that will definitely help. Um, and I do think, well, I, I don't know if I think, but I hope that this is the year that they finally start integrating Ladarius Green into the offense. And yeah, that's like basically that like adding another wide receiver. So, I mean, they added Stevie Johnson in, that in the offseason, but what? Oh yeah. And right. Exactly. Stevie Johnson is going to be a big help. Um, just, he yeah, just, totally. I, he had the perfect quote when they first interviewed him. Um, they asked him how, uh, ha, ha, sorry, everyone says running routes is a strong suit for you. Do, you. do you feel like you run good routes? And he said, I don't care about running routes. I care about getting open. Yep. And I think that was absolutely a perfect way to put it is that, and, and that's, that's kind of Rivers attitude too, is Rivers, he's, he's not going to like dig you for not planting your foot and taking the exact turn that he wanted that that the 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 playbook said you were supposed to take but if you're open he'll find you yeah in that way he's different from tom brady or or peyton manning even who want you to run this route a certain particular way and if you don't you're going to hear about it right you're going to know right and i think a lot of that came I, i think a lot of that came from growing up through the system with antonio gates who was learning how to be a receiver. I mean, we all know the story. They say it every time that he yep. – every time the Chargers are on TV that he played basketball in college. So I, I think a well, lot of that – Yeah, happened, that, I watched him. Was, I watched him on TV in the NCAA tournament. He was a very yeah. good player. <laughs> right. And so I, th- I think a lot of that, you know, finding the open guy thing came from that. Is they, As Gates was 
was growing up with rivers in the system, learning how to be a wide receiver, he obviously wasn't going to come out running, you know, perfect Jerry Rice routes. And so (laughs) Philip Rivers grew up learning how to deal with that. And so I I think Stevie Johnson's ad-libbing ability will be, will be uh, very interesting and fun to watch this year. Hey, who do you think, do you think they'll eventually replace Jason Jackson? I know it's been years, but I was hoping they would have went after Devin Funches or something. Somebody, some big, tall receiver maybe help uh, Rivers. I get, I know we're tough, with, we were tough with receivers, but you need somebody a little taller than what they have. Well, see, and that's what, that, that goes back to my Lazarus Green comment. Lazarus a bigger and more athletic version of Devin Funches. Why would you get a less athletic, smaller version of Lazarus Green? Yeah, Lazarus Green almost had the – he's an inch taller than Vincent Jackson and ran the same 40 time at, yep. at the same at the same weight. So I don't I, – I mean, he must just be – our theory is that he is the worst, pack, the worst practice player of all time. That is the, <laughs> that, that's our only theory as to why he isn't seeing the field more. Or, or Antonio gets on the side of youth again. Yeah. Yeah, well. From everything we've been hearing about Antonio Gates' offseason, he doesn't, he's, you know, starting to wind it down and hopefully be like telling the coach, hey man, put Green in. Uh, I need a few plays off. He was he was telling them that like two years ago when, when they finally started putting them in. Yeah. After well, Gates started plan- on the show the, last year. Yeah, and the, the plantar fasciitis, I think, is what really began to, to give him some, some trouble and. Last year, however, he looked better. I mean, you could see that it right. wasn't bothering him as much as it was the year prior to that. But you don't just yeah, replace he, a he guy kid twenty case. Right? Yeah, yeah. That you don't exactly. That he's him, Tony Gonzalez, Jason Witten. These are guys that you don't just you know find someone on the street to come out and play tight end. Um, I will say, Ladarius Green is an instant improvement in blocking over Antonio Gates, but you don't. <laughs> yes. You don't replace his his production and just his you know knack for being open he just finds a way to catch the ball and be open so that'll definitely be something that that green will have to learn but that comes with playing time so get him on the field (laughs) right well i think he's trying to use it the rest of antonio gates years to the fullest before he completely falls off a cliff well Well, i don't well i I don't see how you can't have them both on the field that's thank you that's what i'm about to say (laughs) if there was ever a perfect situation I mean, we they already they already yeah. right they, they already don't carry a fullback on the roster, so you're not right. running I formations very often. Yeah. Yeah. Do these two tight end sets? <laughs> that's what that's what I was about to go 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 there too. Is that when it gives you the effect of having you can be you can do spread things and power ish things with the same personnel. It gives you the ability to deceive a defense and hurt a defense in ways that you can't when you declare by going four wides or three wides. Not that it's impossible to still run power, but I mean you've made it harder. I'll put it that way uh, to, to 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 run. I mean, obviously, you know, as you just said, you know, Gates is at best a below-average blocker, but Green, even though he's not, you know, he's not amazing, but he's as I said, an upgrade. You can run behind him. You can run to his side of the field. He is a I good enough. Actually, having sorry. He's a good enough positional blocker, and he has, even though he's not very thick, he's strong enough, despite the fact he's kind of wiry, that you can. He can take on an outside linebacker and even, you know, fight for a few few seconds. You don't need more than a few seconds. Even at the, at an actual defensive end, 
if he has to take one on, I mean, as long as he's, you know, you don't have to do it too long, you can run to his side. You can do things with those guys. And like I said, Green can be the kind of guy that's a play, play action. On play action, he chips on a guy or, you know, acts like he's blocking and takes off. He's going to outrun all but a very small number of linebackers, and he can run away from a whole lot of safety. This is an exceptional tight end athlete. I mean, he deserves, from pure athletic ability, to mention the same breath with the top and most athletic tight ends in the game. Yeah. And he's a big target. Yeah, um, completely agree. Like how you're saying maybe keep both on field, because I know most you're saying people don't carry fullbacks. Like, charge him for years, but just put him in that fullback position, keep both. And maybe you can even have a three tight end. Maybe put the other one out on the other end. But, you know. That's just something I've been wondering. Maybe why don't get because there's a third guy on the depth chart that people have been raving about lately. I just don't remember his name. Well, I mean, they've been using David Johnson as a as a right. fullback, H back kind of hybrid. Right. And he did all right this, last year. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. he did all right last year. I mean, he he definitely wasn't you know a Lorenzo Neal at fullback, and he's not <laughs> an Antonio Gates at tight end, but he's he's serviceable enough that it's you you don't. I mean, he obviously was worth a roster spot. So, and and right. we we needed the extra spot last year. I mean, with all the injuries we they had on the offensive line, not having a fullback and being able to carry that extra offensive lineman was extremely helpful. Right. David Johnson is a guy that has certain you know limitations. I mean, he's a big kid though. I mean, he's a big strong dude, but yeah. he's never going to be a terrific receiver. He doesn't have the flexibility or the coordination to be a great, great receiver. And he's he's a little he's sort of we feel he's a trainer all the time, but this is what really fits. He's a little taller than you really like in a pure ISO blocker because he can't really get under guys enough to, you know, blast them the way a, a guy who's five eleven or six feet even could. So he's in a right. weird sort of space. He is your classic H back in so many ways, but he doesn't have one special talent. He's not right you know, like a, a, a sledgehammer. He said, you know, Lorenzo O'Neal, he's definitely not. He's not that great sledgehammer, thick-necked, neck-roll, iso-blocker who's a flex guard, you know, who, you know, like having an extra guard in your, in your offense who just kills linebackers and just flattens them. And like yeah, he's, said, he's not he's, – yeah, go ahead. He's not as good of a, he's not as good of a, of a, a blocking tight end as, like, they had a, a couple years back now when they had a big old Brandon Montemaluna. Oh. A, a monster, but still was surprisingly nimble and caught a few passes. Uh, right. Yeah, he's definitely not that, but he's he serves his role, and uh, it's. <clears throat> I, I think their tight end group is is, is pretty solid, um, and I think that with this being Gates the last year, we'll, they'll they'll probably be, you know, looking for We're looking for somebody in the draft next year. Oh, oh yeah, yeah they will. <laughs> Uh, because even if Green, I mean, you know, does everything you're hoping he does and more, that's still one right, guy, exactly. and yeah, he's exactly. one injury. He's one play away from getting hurt, you know, so. Yeah, he's, he can't he's one play away from to, David Johnson being the starting tight end, so. Yeah, there you go. Oh, <laughs> that's the kind of thing that keeps offensive coordinators up at night, the the tossing and the turning and the, the mailocks. Uh, so yep. we mentioned position battles um, a little bit. From your mindset, Matthew, you mentioned two or three of them. Who are some, where are some other places where you might see some veterans get really pushed by some of the young guys or even replaced by some of the young guys? Um, 
I think corner will be very interesting. Um, between Craig Major and Patrick Robinson for that, that third tight end role, I think that'll be a fun one to watch. Um, uh, we we were about as equally positive over at Bolts from the Blue uh, about both of those uh, guys after watching their tapes, and I think that'll be an interesting one to watch. Um, Robinson, was a, he's a free agent pickup. Um, he's obviously a veteran, but it'll be interesting to see who, who wins out on that battle. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how, how nose tackle shakes out. Um, they did draft yeah. Brian Crothers last year. Um, and they've in the past, they've liked to put Sean Lissamore there. Um, well, which, he's a, a smaller guy. I mean, that's yeah, kind of a yeah, tough he's like deal for Um, so I, 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 I hope, that Ryan Crothers comes out and makes some strides and, and, and kind of locks up that spot. Um, we were all kind of curious as to why they didn't draft um, in the later rounds a true nose tackle type big body. I mean, they grabbed Phylon, but he's obviously not a nose tackle. Um, so that'll be an interesting one to watch to see if Carruthers has, has progressed enough that they don't feel like they have to go, you know, it'll be very key to see, you know, week one or two of the preseason, if all of a sudden they're signing a, a nose tackle, that would be kind of scary. Um, and, and right guard is going to be interesting. Right guard, it, I mean, if um, if Fluker gets pushed inside, it'll be interesting to see how he does. If Barksdale, if, if Fluker beats out Barksdale for the right tackle spot, um, Barksdale has played, I think it was, less than 100 snaps, I think less than 80 snaps at guard in his career. And that'll be very interesting to see between him and if they, I mean, they've con- they've continued to give Johnny Troutman starting snaps in practice and then pulling my hair out whenever I read that. But um, that right guard, the right, the whole right side of the line, it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. So Jim, you always talk about guys who test like guards. Uh, and Fluker is a guy that, I remember you saying, tested more like a guard than he does like a tackle. So based on what we've been told about Troutman, Barksdale, and, of course, obviously DJ Fluker, looking at these guys metrically, who should play right tackle? Wow, really? Um, I, <laughs> I mean, Barksdale... Speechless. Bar- Barksdale is – he's kind of like a Phil Lodeholt-like right tackle prospect. And I mean that in terms of the fact that his explosive lower body strength testing uh, scores was very good, but his speed and his dynamic speed was below average in each of those sort of categories. Um, those guys work at right tackle in a run-based Adrian Peterson-like – you see where I'm going with this? <laughs> like sort of system mm-hmm. where you – where you have uh, you run a lot of power and stuff like that. Um, that's kind of what I worry with Barksdale. Is uh, I think as a right tackle, he fits a, a particular set of scheme, and I don't know if the Chargers, with the fact that Philip Rivers and you know, I mean, they're not exactly they don't really have Adrian Peterson on their roster. I mean, Melvin well, Gordon might end up being very good, but not Adrian Peterson. I don't think Barksdale is going to even really be a starter. I think it's going to be Fluker at guard, and I think um, Franklin at ta- right tackle. 
Because I don't think no, they've already, still... they've already well, put Franklin at left guard. They they they've told yeah, him that's, really. that's, that's there, a done deal. And that's he's, a done deal. he's been taking all the snaps there in practice. Ah. Well, the basic way I would explain this is with the type of offense I've seen the Chargers run, um, Franklin would be a guard. Uh, Barksdale would be a guard. And Fluker would be a guard. Okay, so they're going to a one tackle, three guard offensive line. That's <laughs> what you're telling me. That's never been done before. <laughs> the weight, their weights will be key to watch too, because when we were looking at their tape over the both both of them, uh, Barksdale and Fluker, they both played better at a lighter weight in 2013 than they did heavier in 14. Uh, Fluker was down around 336-ish uh, in 2013 as a rookie. And then last year he ballooned up to like 350 and yep. was playing in the wow. 350s last year. And yep. you could really tell he really suffered a lot. Like he, he did not look as fast. He did, his feet didn't look as good. Um, whereas he, and he wasn't – And he tired out, you know, he, he tired he, he out real quickly. You could see him, right. you know, dragging at, towards the end of longer series. I mean, long possessions were not good for him last year. Right. And so he said he he plan like he's he's trying to get down to three thirty six three thirty five by um by preseason. Uh, he's I think he's lost seven pounds this off season so far. He's down to like three forty two I think right now. But when um, you're when you're DJ Fluker's size, wouldn't clipping your finger and toenails have you lose seven pounds and maybe a haircut oh, on top of that? Yeah. <laughs> That's that's why we all we all laughed when that article came out. He's like, well, I've lost about seven pounds in the last three months. I was like, you could go, you could go spend five. You, at, at that time, you could go spend five minutes in a steam room and lose seven pounds. When you're when you're that size, like cleaning your ears out really really thoroughly, that's like seven pounds. Right. So it'll be interesting so to see like if he can drop another ten and get down near three thirty. Um, and the same thing with Barksdale. Barksdale, I think, was was twelve pounds heavier last year than he was in twenty thirteen. Um, and you could tell his, his run blocking improved, but his pass blocking really dropped off last year. Um, but they were both in a very similar situation where they didn't have any help um, last year. The, uh, Fluker played a lot better with Jeremy Clary next to him than he did with Johnny Troutman. And I don't remember their names, but they had a revolving door on that offensive line in St. Louis too. And so Barksdale was playing with you know, unreliable Whatever. subpar guys right. next to him and, you know, not getting any help. And, and that's a tough division too. I mean, playing the 49ers line twice a year and the Seahawks line twice a year, that's, is, <laughs> that's no easy task. Um, so combine that with his lack of help and you could definitely understand why his stats went down last year. Sure. And it's never too early to talk 2016 because, you know, we always are looking forward. You mentioned already some of the things you'd like to see the team address. If they're being addressed this year for whatever reason, next year. <clears throat> Tight end was one you mentioned. What are other positions that you have sort of circled that you'll be paying some extra attention to when you start looking at college players? Um, I'm going to definitely be looking at quarterbacks because obviously at this point, you know, Philip Rivers will no longer be a charger as of, the end of this year um now that it, i mean they can always franchise him or work out a deal or whatever but at this point you you'd be stupid to not start looking at quarterbacks um i also think that they could bring in another wide receiver malcolm floyd has already come out and said this last week that this is going to be yeah. his last year 
Um, so you you got to replace a very dependable wide receiver. I mean, he he has the craziest he hands. He well, actually. He has, yeah, exactly. And he's he's just very, I think he's very underrated in NFL circles. He's extremely dependable. I mean, he's not going to run away from anyone, but he's, you know, he's he's a lifeline. He's very good at what he does. Um, so wide receiver you guys got to look at. Right. Um, and I think they need to continue improving the defensive line. Um, Kendall Reyes just isn't that good. They still have a question mark at nose tackle. They've obviously decided to start building around Corey Legit with the um, contract they gave him. So you got to give him some help and and put some put some other known players on that line that are going to contribute because they they've they've built a young linebacking core. Um, and you could always add, you can always add there, but I, I I definitely think it's going to start, you know, needing to start up front and depending on what happens with Eric Weddle, they're obviously going to have to start looking at, at, at a free safety, either in free agency or the draft too. Hey, Matthew, speaking of the safety position, how do you, how big of a loss do you think it is losing Marcus Gilchrist and possibly Eric Weddle? They're two, I mean... With Gilchrist, uh, I know I don't know if he was that good in coverage, but uh, tell me a little bit about that. Um, let's see. How do I put this nicely? Uh, <laughs> I'm assuming that you aren't I, quite as broken up about losing Gilchrist. <laughs> I, I, I'm looking at it as an as an upgrade that Gilchrist has gone. <laughs> um, I I did not. Every time he was in coverage, I cringed. And Sharice Wright too. Both I'm I'm happy that both of them are gone because every time they were lined up on somebody, it was like, here we go. This is going to be pass interference, or this is going to be a 40 yard gain. Uh, they just Gilchrist was he was okay as a blitzer, um, and he was he did reasonably well at helping tackle people. I don't think he ever really blew off the charts in solo tackles, but you know he. He was an extra 185 pounds to throw onto somebody as they were falling down. <laughs> um, yeah, so I I I don't think losing Gilchrist is a huge, you know, huge loss, um, especially with the guys they brought in. But with with Patrick Robinson, who's played both corner and safety, um, I think that one for one trade we came away winners there. Um, Losing Weddle, I think, would be rather large. He, He's actually a leader. He is the heart and soul of that defense. I mean, he yep. and, and he's he doesn't get his due because he doesn't put up double-digit interceptions, but he's just – that's not what he's asked to do. He's asked to pick up so much slack in the Chargers' defense that he winds up doing all so many other things that it – it's it's hard to you know as a casual fan who's not from San Diego, it's hard to to tell the the impact that he has for the Chargers defense. And I, I think, think he's that, one of the top fifty or so players in the league. Oh it, yeah, exa- I completely agree with Definitely. that. I thought I thought he was way too low on that top one hundred. Um, yep, that's he was. He was eighty eighty third or something. Yeah, yep, he was too low. <laughs> um. And yeah, and and all these people saying that he's out of his mind for asking for you know top five safety money. It, I I just don't see it. I I I, I, I know he's think 30, he deserves top five. I mean, yeah, I know yeah. he's old, but well, 
Well, I mean, name name a better safety who's not named Earl Thomas in the NFL. You know, I dare you. Right. <laughs> I dare you. Right, and 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 even like I'm well, glad he's recovering. I'm glad Eric Berry is recovering now. But even when Eric Berry was healthy, I didn't think that he was better than Eric. Than it was Rosetta. close. It was at least close. Was I mean, that's, close. those are two guys that I hold in very high regard. Right. And the better the better athlete is is Barry, but I still right. think the slightly better player, at least at this very second, you know, I would give a slight edge to Weddle, but obviously next year, you know, with the younger guy, you know, oh, Father Time is undefeated, as they say. I think Barry might have a chance to be better <laughs> eventually. Sure. But at the, at least 29, but yeah. So. Right, right. I mean, but I'm saying that, you know, Barry's the younger of the two, is what I was pointing out. But yeah, I, I I think that the Eric Weddle is that's going to be huge. I, you know, it, it'll be hard to. I mean, I I think this year, from what I've seen, seeing early rankings, this year's safety class is going to be better. So that'll be nice. It has um, to be. And and hopefully the <laughs> and hopefully the Chargers are in position to be able to afford to take a, a safety early. Um, I, I know. I don't know. I don't know why people let's... think that's such a bugaboo. Help me to understand it. It's one of the most important positions on the field. I mean, it's a position where you have to be able to tackle. You have to be able to cover. You have to be smart enough to make whoa, changes to whoa, your coverage. Whoa, 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 wait a minute, here, Bill. Jim. <laughs> <laughs> I was just saying that because you put corners back there. <laughs> that's how you fill it. No, that's not. How you that's a way to. That's the way to get burned. I do mean that. I just mean that with with Dunlap getting older and possibly having to replace Philip Rivers, I don't know if they're going to be able to afford to take a safety in the first two rounds. Oh, they got Colin Clement. They'll be fine. Just kidding. Oh, (laughs) out. Oh. Yeah, it's it's an upgrade over a Charlie Whitehurst. (laughs) Clipboard Jesus? Yep. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yeah, they got some – well, first of all, I hope you guys find a way to keep, if you can, both Weddle and Rivers because with, if both those guys go, oof, wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah. oof. That's a, you'll get to find out just how good a GM you are if that happens. You'll find out just how good your GM is. That's, earn your money, Mr. Lesko. Earn. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I think this this next year is going to make or break Telesco's tenure as the Chargers GM because he is going to have yeah. – a lot of important decisions to make. Hey, Matthew. Um, yeah. One question. With the, uh, I think it's the defense spin. Mante Teo, I know it's been sort of not good lately. He's, you hardly ever seen him on the field. And basically, he's totally terrible on third down. And they basically said the same thing about Denzel Perryman. How do you see the whole like third down position like that working out? Because basically, they drafted two guys that can't play on third down. So or not can get. I I think that that Teow was looking better near the end of last year. He was you could see that so here's how I, I was able to identify it is when I was looking at tape from his rookie year and then looking at his tape from the end of last year, his rookie year he was taking three to four stutter steps before engaging in a certain direction, deciding where to go. By the end of last year it was two more often, two steps more often than it was three. You could see him being able to read things faster. And I think that's going to help this year. Um, And now that he's two years removed from the injury, I think that he's going to be, you know, moving a little better. I think he'll be able to, 
now that he's, you know, reading the game better, I think that'll help him on third downs. Um, Perryman is definitely a hammer, and I think that will wind up helping um, whoever else is on the field because that's a big part of, of, in my opinion, why Donald Butler regressed so much is he didn't have someone next to him that was just a wrecking ball that was that the, the blockers were going to be focusing on saying like this guy is going to be a heat-seeking missile coming into our backfield. We need to stop this guy. It, it <clears throat> I think, I, I'm hoping Butler returns to the the 2013 form, and I think mm-hmm. that Teo will be doing better. Um, but it's 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 got to be a rotation. There, I don't think that they're going to have, you know, set guys that they're saying okay, third down. You know, it's going to be X and X and X and Y every time. I think it's there's there's definitely going to be some some playing to do as far as finding a good rotation for all three of those guys, and I think that's one of the one of the positions that I was kind of um, there was a loss there that I I think is going to hurt him a little bit is is Andrew Gatchkar. He wasn't a headline oh, yeah. player. He wasn't a star, but he no. did really he did really well on special teams, and he wasn't sure, a liability. Uh, when he was out there on third down, so I I think not not grabbing a similar guy to him um, is going to be a challenge. Going off that point, um, Melvin Ingram, after he keeps getting injured, are they ever going to find somebody to back him up where they're not losing much production at all? I I think that's another hole. Um, that they didn't fill to our liking this off season. Um, I thought that they might try and grab somebody in free agency early. Um, I was I was hoping they'd grab a guy like Parnell, um, and then they didn't, and I was disappointed. Um, and and Kyle Emanuel is obviously not going to be you know stepping in and, and filling Melvin Ingram's shoes. Excuse me on an every down basis. So I think that'll be a position that'll be scary this year. Um, it's definitely going to be one where the John Pagano is going to be waking up in cold sweats at night, having nightmares <laughs> about either him or Atachi getting injured because oh. that's one of those positions where you're one snap away from a rookie Kyle Emanuel from a D2 school or uh, – or, uh, What's his name? Uh, Torek Williams, you know, taking starting snaps. Do you think possibly maybe in the beginning of camp they may uh, camp they may bring in like Lance Briggs? I know he doesn't play the middle, but maybe he's just a depth person for that. Um, I, you know, it, it is it, Telesco is always looking to bring in a guy late. I mean, they got Brandon Flowers super late. Um, Surprise. they brought him in, so it. I I wouldn't be surprised to see them bring in more veteran bodies um, at that position because right now it's extremely thin. I think it's probably the thinnest position on our roster is outside linebacker. Yeah, that that you you've said a couple of scary things about depth chart things that could happen. <laughs> with I mean, when you mentioned like your you, there's a couple of positions where one dude goes down and then it's, oof. Right. Yeah, oof. It reminds yeah, me so of the some... offensive line two years ago, how bad that, how shaky that was. Yeah. One one injury, all crumble around. So, so I guess what you're saying, or at least one of the things you're kind of saying, Matthew, is 
you're praying for good health. It sounds like. Uh, <laughs> yes, I, I've been. I've I've made a sacrifice. <laughs> Um, I've made a sacrifice to the good football health gods, and <laughs> I'll be I'll be making further sacrifices before each game. Um, yeah, but oh, yeah, wow. the, yeah, it it is always a a scary thing, and and I think they did a good job shoring up the offensive line. I like our offensive line depth this year. Um, wide receiver, there's no real stars, but I think there is a good solid amount of bodies. Um, between Keenan Allen, Malcolm Floyd, Stevie Johnson, and then they've got um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, no Denario Alexander got, still on that team? No, Denario Alexander. No. I, I I keep getting lots of questions about him. Based <laughs> on his Twitter feed recently, he um he might be He's he's trying to come back, is what it sounds like, but he's had right. I think five knee surgeries at this point. But that was yeah, his neck he, that kept him out. His it's, knees, no, it's, his, it's his knees. They're destroyed. One of his knees is bone on bone. Um, yeah. It's it not a good situation for, yes, ooh, it's right. Um, but, and his uh, other knee. But, Bill, that's when you do the microfect surgery. Have you done that yet? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that always works. <laughs> right. So he has one knee, I think that's bone on bone, and his quote-unquote good knee has also been reconstructed in the past. So yeah. you've got a speed receiver, and that's what he is, he's a speed receiver with one really bad knee and one only slightly terribly bad knee. But neither of his knees are things you feel good about. There are teams that have not passed him medically. Like, there are teams that won't yeah. touch him at all. If he came to play for a dollar, they would save their dollar. Yeah, and I think the Chargers are one of those teams that they, they've wished him well, but I don't think he'll be – you know, seeing an offer anytime soon. Um, but they do have they do have Dontrell Inman who flashed at the end of last year. Yep. Um, and they also he's he hasn't been the best receiver lately, but they did bring in Jacoby Jones to return kicks and punts, and he, he's a, at least a, a body that you can throw out there. And the other the other guy that I I would hope I'm hoping that he comes back because when he was coming out in the draft, I kind of liked him. Was Austin Pettit. Um, he hasn't really oh, yeah. done anything uh, yeah. in the league. I forgot he signed. But I mean, he. I think he'll. It, I think he he sticks on the roster. Um, if, you're, if you're looking who who could one day become your Malcolm Floyd, it could be Austin Pettis. He'll never scare anybody at all, sure. in any kind of way. But he's unafraid of going over the middle. He has yep two good hands. He's he's a good route runner. And he's a, like I said, you know, not quite as big as Floyd, who's six five, but he's six three and a quarter or something, with big hands and long arms. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think he, and and he kind of went to a shitty situation. Sorry, he went to a crappy situation in uh, in St. Louis. Both, both things you said were correct, but yes, go ahead. <laughs> they haven't had a quarterback there, and so he like it was hard for him to develop as a wide receiver because he's. He had what six different people throwing to him in the couple years that he was there. Yep. Um, maybe a little bit more, but you know, right around there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They don't have a quarterback. I, I, they, well, we'll see. They may. I mean, this is going to be a. Somebody's talking about make or break year. There's another franchise that's about to have a make or break year. That that. 
And Nick Foles is a make company. It's a make or break year for a bunch of people, but I mean, when you well, are a Jeff Fisher a kind of year, it's just a broke year. <laughs> I mean, they're they're going to play football. They're going to do the best they can, but I don't think that they're going to like go to a Super Bowl or anything like that or go to the playoffs. I mean, well, maybe it depends. If Peyton Manning dies on the football field, he literally just oh. dies. Jim, how dare you? Oh, my God. On the football field. Which would be horrible, and we'd have, like, a national Peyton Day or something like that, you know. Um, yes, you would. Sponsored by, sponsored by Papa John's uh, that would That would give them opportunity to kind of do something. Because even then, Denver has sort of a better defense, you know, yes. kind of. Right, so give a better, give a better, give a better, 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 better fifty-three man. Yeah, do a better fifty-three man roster. Yeah, yeah. So I, that's yeah. only like I, I like I like what the chart. I like some of what the Chargers are doing. I just have obviously like, defensive question. Yeah. Well, depth. Yeah. Issues is the biggest. As, as long and as I, no one gets, as long as no one gets injured, we'll be super competitive. <laughs> there you go. All you got to do is <laughs> have everyone like stay healthy, and you'll be right Bubble there to the end. Everyone. <laughs> uh, I have some great mental images now to take with me. Um, anybody have a uh, final question for Matthew? Any any more questions about the Chargers, their draft, their future, their past, their, their present? Jim, any other questions for Matthew? Oh, uh, well, probably about Jeremiah Couchy. Uh, God bless. Uh, how is his development going? From what I've heard, he's he's doing well. Um, obviously, the the physical tools are there, um, but his biggest thing that he needs to work on is his hands. He he was pretty bad with his hands last year. Um, apparently, he wasn't. You know, I guess he, apparently he didn't do a lot of of learning from Dwight Freeney because Dwight Freeney has excellent hands. Well, um, Dwight Freeney left for one game. Yeah, yeah. Well, he. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> um, but I think, like again, like I said earlier, with Mike Nolan coming in, I think there, there's some excellent opportunity for him to learn there. Um, and if he can put his hands together, I think he'll surprise some people last year. And it, he he wasn't bad last year. Um, he did flash. I mean, he he blocked a kick. He had, I think. Two sacks, two or two or three, um, but and, and that was on pretty limited stat, snaps as well. So I, I think, I, I, from what I'm hearing, he's he's putting definitely putting in the time both in the film room and with the coaches um, to put himself in the best opportunity to succeed. Um, so that I, I definitely take that as a positive, um, and it'll be it'll definitely be fun to watch. Um, seeing both him and Ingram on the field together more because they haven't been able to present that that combined level of athleticism in a long time. Um, so it, it'll definitely be something for offensive lines to worry about having two guys that athletic coming at them. Isaiah, do you have any other questions from Matthew about the Chargers' future, past, present, uh, draft, <laughs> or anything else? I can't think of any. Okay. Then I'm going to ask you for a, a probably a hope-filled prediction for, for this uh, season. 
if indeed you are able to individually bubble wrap all 53 players and keep them all healthy, <clears throat> what do you think this year could hold for the for the Chargers, Matthew? <sighs> well, I think um, it, to try and be a little more realistic, to if I was going to assume that the Chargers weren't going to have any injuries, I will also extend that courtesy to the Denver Broncos. <laughs> and if that were to play out, I think the Chargers are definitely playing for a wild card spot. I I think that the with Peyton Manning and on offense and with the defense they have and Wade Phillips now coaching it, who I think is that yeah. he's a terrible head coach, but he's an amazing uh, defensive coordinator. Well, his first year. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I I think that they they take the division again, and I think the Chargers have a chance. Um, to go ahead and and make a wild card spot, mainly because the Chargers have been have have done pretty well in division games recently, um, and five of the six division games come after the halfway mark this year for the Chargers, including both Broncos games. But the the first hmm. Broncos game is December sixth, and then it's and then January third is the next one. Um, so that'll definitely be that'll be interesting to see down the stretch, um, especially if the Broncos have done well in the first part of their journey. That that, that Week 17 matchup could be a Peytonless matchup. Oh um, yeah, you have to try to and, stop Brock Osweiler. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know, but that, that, that would definitely help. But I, could, I don't know about you. I think Brock Osweiler could be very good. I sorry, I believe. Well, he might I, he might well be, but he's still essentially. I mean, he's a rookie, technically speaking. But the guy has taken, is it three snaps or is it four? But it was under well, you five. Can't, <laughs> you can't blame the teams at ball hogs. <laughs> no, uh, but like, you get back off the field. That clip, that clip last year when he was putting on his helmet, getting ready to run out. Hilarious. Peyton. Oh my gosh, that was the best. <laughs> it was an awesome <laughs> moment. He was so, it's one of those things that lets you know because you, he's been told. I know when the coaches said, "Hey, be ready. We're, you're going in. You're going in." He's thinking, "Oh God, I'm going in. I'm going in." He's thinking about you know the roar of the crowd and what I'm going to do and and then of course helmet. you know. <laughs> he had the so same look on his did. face as kids coming, as kids like looking through the Disney store at the mall, and their parents say, "Maybe next time." <laughs> it was that same defeated, like you stole my candy. Yep. Today is the worst. <laughs> it was, it was that look. I, I um, bet but, there was a little, there was a little bit of tension in the quarterback room. I'm going to predict <laughs> the 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 day after. <laughs> I don't know. If, I, I don't know if he would have had the balls to stand up and be mad at Peyton. Oh, he didn't it was say more, anything. I bet, was, I did, I bet, I, I bet you like, a dollar he didn't say anything, but I bet he was thinking stuff. He's passive aggressive about it, you know. Like, like can't let me have just he one. Bring in a tech, he'd be like, "Oh, where's my textbook?" You know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think also, man, he always hands out homework to all his backup quarterbacks, so at least he won't be bored back there. <laughs> yeah. So. Like so back to my prediction. <laughs> right. That's a solid – I mean, I could see this team finding nine victories somewhere. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, nine and seven is a is a, a realistic enough uh, prediction that if they if they do better than that, it won't be a huge surprise. But if they do worse, you're not going to be super disappointed because you could kind of see that it could happen. Right. Um, right. 
and I, I don't even want to get into all the rumors of, you know, the Chargers are going to they're going to throw oh. the season to to be so that they can, you know, say, hey, we we need to move and like our fans are terrible, they don't show up to the games, blah blah blah. So I I don't want to get into all that, but I I think nine and seven is pretty realistic. Well, you don't want to share a stadium with the Raiders if that's the case. There's so many layers to that one, um, and we'll, and I'm sure Jim Jim will will address at some point the you know future of the Raiders as well. But this will but this will not be that night. This is not, this, this is not that time. There will be a time, but this will not be it. Well, Matthew, first of all, uh, tell people where they can find and follow your work where people can see more of what you and your, your compatriots are up to. Sure. So, uh, again, my name is Matthew Stanley. I write for Bolts from the Blue, uh, boltsfromtheblue.com. It's the, the Chargers site on the SB Nation uh, websites. Um, and I'm on Twitter, at Boltfan in Denver, because um, obviously I, I live here in enemy territory in Denver. And, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> Your life must You're be like right, an right, awesome right. commercial. <laughs> well, yeah, Direct TV has a commercial like about your life, basically. It's it's interesting. <laughs> I have a I have a, a motorcycle helmet with with Chargers lightning bolts on it. I ordered a white helmet and put big Chargers bolts on it, so it looks like the Chargers helmet. And I've definitely come close to being run off the road and flipped <laughs> off and honked at more than more than my fair share of times. But uh, it's yeah. it's not bad. It's not terrible, and uh, definitely makes for some interesting Sundays during the season, especially because my wife's a Broncos fan. So, oh, <laughs> ah, nice. <laughs> so, those are fun Sundays. Oh yeah. Well, Matthew, <laughs> I always had a certain amount of. I mean, first of all, I, I think you probably heard this. The San Diego fans that I've encountered tend to be amongst some of the more easy to. Not easy to deal with. But, I mean, you don't run into too many raging jerks, I guess, is what I'm trying to say amongst the San Diego fans. <laughs> They're not the Raiders. I, I wasn't the Raiders saying that. I, was say, I wasn't saying that. I was simply saying they're not raging jerks. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you are a good representative of, of that fan base. Now, obviously, by, by being a person who looks a little more deeply, you're probably a little more realistic than, you know, the average fan because you could see the, you know, you see, oh, oh, the, you could see where the, the bumps might be in the road a little more yeah. than the average person. <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, I, I, first of all, I just, I hope that there's no shenanigans, you know, of any sort. I mean, just for competitive balance and, I mean, this is, a, this is not the NBA. I don't want anyone doing stupid stuff like that. Uh, <laughs> I hope it never, I mean, I mean we, we all know it happens all the time in the NBA, but I hope that it's, Football is so different. Football, how do you convince football players, first of all, who know how few times, I mean, every football player knows that each play could be their last. It is difficult right. to convince them. It's difficult to convince them not to give their best all the time. And San Diego belongs to the Chargers, and the Chargers belong in San Diego. I know they were in Los Angeles for a hot minute, but, I mean, that, that was a, you know, that, that never felt right to me. Um, I don't know how the Chargers felt about it, but it never felt right to me. It feels like a better marriage. It's hard, I mean, certain cities seem to fit certain teams. If you move the Bills to, I don't know, wherever, any place, basically, it would feel wrong. You know, I don't right. know. I get, 
Like, it would just feel wrong. I don't, I don't care where you – if you move them to Oklahoma City or whatever, it would just feel just sick. It would feel wrong. I, mean, I would never feel right about it. Uh, right. Montana. I mean, and, well, and I think even, no, even the L.A. people know that. I mean, the L.A. Times right. did a poll a couple months ago asking which team they would want to see there if a team did move there. And I think I out, of the, out of the 15,000, 16,000 people that took the poll – it was uh-huh. 75% Rams, yep. like 18% Raiders, and the Chargers were in single digits. So You don't even, want Oakland there. Even <laughs> L.A. knows. <laughs> right. I, I agree. I mean, it, it just, it's not a good cultural fit. And, I mean, I've seen – my dad remembers the Rams, you know, in Cleveland. I don't remember my, father, my late father, I mean, you know, when he was alive. I remember the Rams in Cleveland. I don't, I don't go back that far. But I definitely remember the Rams in L.A. And that, and that felt – that's all kind of like, oh, that makes sense. And the Rams had players that went on to be actors like Fred Dreyer. Like it felt, oh, this makes sense, right? Yeah. The Rams in St. Louis, you know, hey, they've had some success. Not so much. It, they've had some success. I mean, obviously, you know, super, a couple of Super Just Bowl super teams Bowl. want they won a Super Bowl. Well, I, I get that. You I hurt that. me all the time, Bill. You just hurt me. <laughs> Hold on now. It wasn't meant to be hurtful, Steve. I'm just mentioning <laughs> that, okay, for, for the, Steve and I are old enough to remember prior to, you know, realignment. We remember, you know, we remember the Seahawks as an AFC team. And they were actually a pretty decent team. I mean, they were unlike AFC a lot of the other. Unlike a lot of these. Kenny Easley. Yes. Right, exactly. Craig. <laughs> right, Craig and Zorn and, of course, Hall of Famer Steve Larson. I mean, and, and and Jacob Green, who I think should be in the Hall of Fame, I mean, that look at this guy's stats. Now, for his first two seasons, they didn't keep sacks as an official um, number, but the guy still ended up with almost 100 sacks playing five technique. And he's not in the Hall of Fame, but whatever. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> you know, unfortunately, unfortunately, playing in Seattle in those days was like playing on the moon. But here's, here's – Steve and I will just sort of touch on this. There are certain teams – you can move them if you want to, but we'll never fully accept it. Now, maybe the young guys can do it, but I, I still haven't gotten used to – like, I, I look at the Colts. I know they're in Annapolis. I, I kind of – okay, you're in Annapolis now. Whatever. But, I mean – so much I watched, you're losing. But I watched the Baltimore Colts almost get there and then win there. I mean, they won, I saw their Super Bowl win. You know, they did actually win Super Bowl four, But they were a really competitive team. Yeah. But though actually he he shared the snaps in that game. Unitas was was battling an injury as he did, unfortunately, in the other Super Bowl they played in against the Jets. Um, in fact, Unitas only was brought in in the end. But Earl Morrill, who was a very underrated quarterback, who also was on the roster when he he Don Shula later went after him because he remembered him because he he had him with the Colts. Shula later brought him over to back up uh, Greasy, and when Greasy got hurt, Earl Morrill played in. People know this. Earl Morrill played in three Super Bowls. Started too, right? The unbeaten season. Earl Morrill played almost as many games as Bob Greasy did. Earl Morrill and Earl Morrill could do things Greasy could never do because Greasy was again the term game manager wasn't used in those days, but Greasy was the ultimate game manager. I mean, they won a Super Bowl when he threw the ball nine times. I didn't say completed. I said attempt nine attempts, <laughs> not completion. I'm not kidding. Look it up. <laughs> Look it up. They had he had nine pass attempts. You know, and when they won the Super Bowl, nine, a kill. 
that team, come on, running the game. Come on, running the ball. Woo. Woo. That team could run the football. That, that, first of all, they had Larry Little. I mean, they had a great offensive line. And Langer, I mean, that was a great line. And then you add to the fact, look at the running backs they had. I mean, they had a stable of running backs. Boulash and uh, Kick and Zonka and Earl Morris. Now, Mercury Morris is a guy that if he had played in a slightly less crowded backfield and was probably a slightly less screwed up individual, would probably be a Hall of Famer. Well, he went through some, you know, some self-imposed things in the latter part of his career. But that guy's first few years in the league, he was basically like Tony Dorsett 1.0. That guy just, you gave him a little tiny crack, and you better get a hand on him. If he got three steps untouched, he might go. He literally could take almost any play to the house. That guy. Young, Gertrude Morris? I'm sorry, you guys. I'm sorry, you younger guys missed him. And then later he messed himself <laughs> up on stuff, whatever. But man, God, I mean, he wasn't that different from Tony Dorsett. I'm telling you this. That, Too bad that game rewind didn't exist. I mean, that, that guy. Whew, the things he could do, man. Um, but he was, you know, kind of kind of troubled. You know, he ran some some self imposed issues and whatever. But talent. And then of course you got Zonka, who was, I mean, talk about a battering ram. I mean, that guy. Ran to darkness. Uh, he, did, he he avoided no tackles. He did, he you you want to tackle me? Fine, get a face full of me then. And that was his approach. He ran into over and through people like few others. I mean, when Michael I think of the great Stott. power runners, of, when I think of the great power, well, yeah, better than all stuff though. When I think of the great power runners of all time, I mean, obviously Jim Brown's uh, all the way up here. And then you got you know you got guys like Earl Campbell. And then not far behind that, you got guys like Zonka. I mean, Zonka is a Hall of Fame blast you into submission running back. Beast. In a way that, like I said, even better than a guy like Allstott. Allstott was certainly a good player, don't get me wrong, but his numbers, except for maybe yards per carry, they probably still in terms of that, but he's nowhere close in career yardage to a guy like Zonka. Mm. But once again, yeah, he was, game, he was I mean, just the, the first big power back of when I was started watching football. Yeah, he was he was brutal. He was brutal. You could see guys, once again, you could see late in games, guys were like, No, I've had enough attacking Zonka. I'm sorry. I'm, <laughs> you know, I mean this these guys weren't making millions of dollars in this, those days. They're like, look, man, I'm I'm making eighty grand. I'm not tackling that guy anymore. I'm I'm done. Uh just a brutal. Just a bat I mean, like I said, Riggins, you know, Riggins was faster, but but I mean these are guys that are like the best power back, like ever of all time. And Riggins' numbers would be even more impressive if he hadn't been such a flake when he's with the Jets. So the Jets basically put him in like an internal exile, almost like with Marcus Allen with the Raiders, where they would deactivate him sometimes or have him active, but wouldn't let him touch the ball for weeks and weeks and weeks at a time. Even though he's the best running back they had, they were trying to break his spirit. They were like trying to get him to fall in line, and that's not really – John Riggins thing. It's like, oh, yeah. no, I'm John Riggins. And then, he re- and, then, and then he retired for a year and locked in his yep. prime. Yep. And then he told the media, when he came back, said, I'm bored, I'm broke, and I'm back. <laughs> yep. Yep. And that's what he was. He was bored, he was broken. There's a guy who, when he weighed 225 pounds as a high school senior, won Kansas <laughs> State long jump and jumped all the way out of the pit and broke his ankle. He kept telling them, you know, I need you to back up this thing because I'm going to jump all the way through this pit. And they're like, 
So that kid's 22 feet. Well, you're not going to jump out of it. He jumps all the way out of the pit, breaks his ankle, and he's like, see? 225 pounds. <laughs> I mean, but think of it. Think of how many 225-pound state champion long jumpers you can think of. That's a short list, my friend. That's a short list. That's the kind of athlete Riggins was, a 225-pound state champion long jumper. So he was, I mean, he obviously slowed down a little bit later in his career, but in his early career with Jets, he was a breakaway runner at 240 pounds. You don't see those every day. I mean, he was, no, like, a white, he was like a white Jabal Lewis. You know, <laughs> I mean, he was a guy that could, <laughs> he could pound you, but he could take it to the house. Young Riggins ran away from people on a regular basis. And like I and like like Steve pointed out, he lost probably two or three of the best years of his career, squabbling with coaches or literally, you know, retiring out of frustration. Mm. I mean, you think about what what kind of numbers he would have put up if he had, if somebody like Joe Gibbs had had him his entire career, whew, his numbers would be ridiculous. When Joe Gibbs got hired, the first thing he did was went went out to Kansas to get Riggins to come back. Well, because he he played he coached against them, and he remembered, man, you know, we when they played this guy, we couldn't do anything with it. Um, and he was it was just the Jets, you know, you know, the Jets being the Jets, especially the Jets of that era. I mean, whew, Jets of the of the the post um, Namath, but pre Richard Todd Jets were some of the that was some hard offensive football to watch, my friends. I'm just putting it out there. And they had and they and they had Riggins, but he refused. But they refused to use him, and so it was frustrating for everybody. You know, for Riggins, for Jets fans, for everybody. And so when the Jets finally, you know, basically said, you know, they drew the line in the sand. He was like, okay, well, I'm done. I'm gone. You know, you you had what would have been. This could have been one of the great sort of losses. I mean, people wouldn't have talked about it because he wouldn't have had that much of a career. But we would have lost what would have been one of the great power running back in the history of the game from, you know, the history of the game because he wouldn't have had his career if not for, well, I said, Joe Gibbs, who, Joe Gibbs was a great coach. When people talk about the great coaches of all time, they never mention Joe Gibbs. His name never comes up. Joe Gibbs is one of the great people persons. That, too. Yeah. On top of that, right? So on top of that <laughs> fact that he was a off-the-charts good X's and O's guy. I mean, the guy invented stuff. Right? He was, mm-hmm. he, we, we, people always talk about Bill Walsh, and they should. I mean, Bill Walsh is a freaking genius. Don't get me wrong. But there were some things that people do now that, I mean, he and, he and his offensive line coach, Joe Bugle, put together some of the most ingenious blocking schemes the world has ever seen. And, Bill, any, anytime, anytime you're interested – Go look at the San Diego State coaching staff in the sixties under Don Coriel. It was silly. It, their <laughs> staff was ridiculous. I mean, Coriel's coaching tree. So people always talk about Bill Walsh's coaching tree, and they should. I mean, Bill Walsh's coaching tree is still all over the darn place. You know, years after the man gone on to meet his meet his maker, he still has an impact in the NFL. But look at that. You're right. That's yeah. Um, Al Saunders. Obviously, Gibbs, um, John Madden. What, Madden was Hannafin on that staff. Who was uh, the? Not Hannafin. It was uh, 
Their offensive line coach was a really good coach, too. I'm trying to remember who it was. Was it Hannison? Was it yeah, I think actually it was Hannison. I think it was Hannison. A great offensive line coach. Great. I mean, Dowhower. I mean, Rod Dowhower, yep. That, that, that staff was loaded. Loaded. Yes. The offensive and they, coordinator and the defensive coordinator are in the Hall of Fame. Fame. Wow. Yep. 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 <laughs> yep. It was it was a great great staff and it's funny there's an, there's an early interview with Brian Seitz, um from his rookie season I think when he when they asked him about adjusting and he says oh when you say adjusting I'm just trying to adjust to the fact that the offense you run here is less complex than the one we ran in college and he was telling the truth they actually ran a simpler offense when he got drafted and goes to play in in Cleveland than what he had at San Diego State. Now, you don't hear that anymore. Like, that's something you never hear guys say nowadays. But there were some guys, if they came from Tulsa in those days, or they came from BYU in the 70s, and, and well, again, San Diego State in the 60s and early 70s, and they came to the NFL, depending on which team they went to, they might have literally come to a simpler offense coming into the NFL. If you went into Don Shula's offense and you previously had been in uh, – in that offense of San Diego State, yes, you are now in a simpler offense. There were fewer no, moving parts. There's not as much going on as that offense you just gave from. <laughs> Wait, was Dick, Dick Vermeer was on that staff too, wasn't he? Yep. Might have been. I mean, it, it was insane. They were yes. insane in it, how, many, right. how much talent they had Vermeer on that was on that too. <laughs> I just remember Vermeer was Oh, my gosh. <laughs> right. Vermeer was on that. Good God, that staff was ludicrous. Um, so yes, it was it was a a hotbed of especially offensive. Though they have some good defensive coaches too, but I mean, if you wanted to, that was the place to be to be a young offensive mind. And then later it was BYU. You know, once once he moved on to the, to the pros, the place to go to grow up as a young offensive minded coach was BYU. From about seventy four, seventy three, they had about a fifteen, ten or fifteen year run where their offense was influential in both directions, both the high school level and the pro level. Bill Walsh spent time on BYU's campus with Doug Scoville and Norm Chow. Mm-hmm. It helped him to formulate or put together the stuff that he did. He also spent time with Homer Rice, who um, he coached with at Cincinnati. And from those guys and his own thoughts, I mean, you know, he, he didn't by himself one day wake up, Eureka, West Coast office, he, like every coach, he stole and borrowed and, you know, was influenced and whatever by a bunch of other great minds around him. But, God, phew, that was a great Here, Here's the thing is, does he, ever, does he ever make the development into the short passing game if Cook doesn't get hurt? No. No, he doesn't. Because, once again, remember, he originally was from that Al Davis, you know, Sid Gilman. I mean, that was his original mindset. He, he liked and when he had Greg Cook, you know, why wouldn't you? But that was his – he liked pushing the ball down the field. It was only because they had to switch to Virgil Carter from BYU, who was 5'11 and a half and, you know, quick. But, you know, could bear, couldn't, couldn't break a pane of glass throwing a football. So they had to do everything differently. And, yes, that's when he began to formulate, you know, what became the West Coast offense. And, and then he found, like, found Ken Anderson. 
Yeah, I have a problem with the West Coast offense. The title is actually the Ohio River offense. <laughs> yes, well, like I said, the West Coast of Ohio is what I would call it. Yes, exactly. Um, was, people called it, I mean, I think there's Bill Washington called it lazy, or not Bill Washington, the person who basically came up with the West Coast offense, called it lazy, <laughs> calling it that. If you read well, it was, West it was actually it was actually a mistake. Um, in an interview with Dr. Z, as we used to call him, Paul Zimmerman, he was talking to Bernie Kozar, and there was simply a miscommunication between the two men about what they meant when they referred to West Coast offense. So he actually didn't mean Bill Walsh's offense when he was talking to him about West Coast offense. He actually meant guys like Al Sanders and, you know, once again, the guys who were more influenced by, by um, you know, uh, Eric Coriel and, and Sid. And said, but unfortunately, Zimmerman wrote incorrectly that he was referring to Bill Walsh's offense, and it just took off. It stuck. It like there's, there's your West Coast offense. Yeah, so that's how it happened. It was by accident, believe it or not. It was actually a, a, a miscommunication between Bernie Kozar and Paul Zimmerman in Sports Illustrated. And from that point, you know how it is. Once something gets out there, it's like the word athleticism. That isn't a word. Most people don't even realize it's not a word. If it were a word, it would mean a belief in athletics, just like Catholicism is a belief in the Catholic faith, or capitalism is a belief in capital. Athleticism, <laughs> if it were a word, would mean a belief in athlete, athletes or athletics. But people use it to mean athletic ability. But people use it so much they've accepted it, even though it's not a word. So West Coast offense has come to be accepted as meaning, you know, the Bill Walsh offense, though he never called it himself the West Coast. I mean, later he did, because everybody else was calling it. But he, that wasn't what he called it when he was developing it. And... You know, nickname. Well, I mean, he was, he was the, a better way to think about it. He was the, the, he was the coalescer of it. He, and people forget how important Homer Rice was in this development. So Homer Rice was on the staff and he was an older coach. Bill Walsh is very young at the time. If you remember Bill Walsh, you know, most of you guys think of Bill Walsh as an old guy. He wasn't as old as he looked. He, he, his hair went white rather young. So by the time mm-hmm. he was about 36 to 37, he had white hair, but he was not always old. So young Bill Walsh, and he was young at the time, is learning a lot from Homer Rice. Homer Rice was a guy that invented what's called the air option offense. And later, I mean, he, people, who, I don't know if you studied sort of the birth of the spread offense, but Homer Rice helped to invent what you would now call the spread offense because when he was at Rice, no relation, when he coached at Rice University, he helped, he helped a young man named Tommy Kramer finish sixth in the Heisman Trophy voting. Tommy Kramer, his senior year, threw for 2,800 yards and ran for 700 yards at least in part because of the development of what is that what you would now call spread offense. So that a lot of that comes from from Homer Rice. Well and and Homer Rice was a big influence on young Bill Walsh when they coached together at Cincinnati. Uh I just encourage you guys to look at Chris Westling's piece Chris that uh, Chris Westling's piece on NFL.com slash Ohio Rivers offense. It's a really good stuff that it basically described all what Bill said. Yeah, so I'm, yeah, I'm familiar with. I mean, I was. See, I remember I was there when this stuff happened. I don't have to read about it. <laughs> I remember when all this yeah, happened. I was, was, was kind of there. I was kind of. Oh, okay. Oh, right. Good point. Yeah, right. For younger guys, yes, it's a really good read. But yeah, I remember literally all this happened. I remember Greg Cook getting hurt. Um, as a as a Steelers fan, I mean, as a, I was young then. You know, as a mature person, I would not have been pleased. But at the time, you know, I'm thinking, yes, you know, because that was good. You know, <laughs> you know, Virgil Carter, 
he's a bum. Yeah, put him in. And of course, I uh, now with you know a, a, a more wise mind, I realized that I was like, I would never cheer for Secretary to break his leg. You know what I mean? That's what it was in a way. I mean, this guy would have been the first John Elway if he had not suffered. And here's another thing: his injury was eerily similar to the to the injury that Drew Brees suffered. Now the difference is the medical technology. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. in Greg Cook's day, they treated the injury by cutting everything with a knife. You know what I mean? Let's just cut everything. Cut, 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 cut. And, you know, and then they had nothing to help it, the injury to recover. You know, and it was like, well, stitch it up and hope. You know, they didn't have electrostim. They didn't know how to do things to encourage blood flow. I mean, it was just, it wasn't microsurgery or any of that. It was cutting, like you cut a, piece of beef. Uh, and so there was all kinds of scar tissue and it was just horrible. It was just a horrible, horrible injury. And the surgery was in some ways almost worse. The amazing thing is he actually played prior to surgery with this ridiculous injury. I don't know how he did it. He must have been in utter agony because, like I said, I won't mean, go too deep into the injury. I've talked about it once before. It's it's a horrible injury to even think about. If you know about the Drew Brees injury, it is a virtually the identical injury. And like I said, in the unfortunately early seventies medical technology, they didn't really they didn't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't. I mean, it was. Oof. They just I mean, it's like with, your career is over. Well, they they said that to him, but he didn't accept that. And to his credit, he kept fighting until finally, you know, you know, I mean, it became clear that he was never going to be. He was never going to be anything close to what he was. It's like with Gail Sayers. I mean, Gail Sayers played again, and he even had one more 1,000-yard season, but it was just sheer will that he managed to rush for 1,000 yards because he literally, I mean, I was, anybody with a weak stomach, I was going to make sure I, you know, get that cleared up before That's I tell me. you about what he – oh, okay. Well, if you have a weak stomach, you may want to, I don't know, turn away or block your ears, but that last <laughs> year that Gail Sayers – the last year that Gail Sayers played – they had used what's called cadaver reconstruction, meaning that they had taken um, pieces of ligament from cadavers and had put them in his knee, but they didn't understand how rejection worked. So as the season went along, his body dissolved these cadaver ligaments, and they would leak the pieces of ligaments and other stuff and pus and whatever else would leak out of his knee. So he would literally have to drain, you know, he would like lance or drain or whatever his knee, and they would use, you know, once it was very primitive, but they would use literally like, like, um, well, uh, like sanitary napkins, like, so basically to absorb all the stuff came out of his knee. And he managed to somehow rush for a thousand yards. I don't think people realize what an amazing feat that last season of, of Gale Sayers' career was because he was this amazing electric change of, you know, change of direction and burst. Oh, my gosh, it's burst. And then he manages somehow in the 70, God, was it two seasons? Whatever season that last season was, 72 or 73, one of those. He missed all of 71, if I remember correctly. Well, don't worry about it. It doesn't matter. Whatever year it was, whatever last year, it was 71 or 72. But he comes back and manages to rush for 1,000 yards despite the fact that he essentially had his, his knees dying on the inside. The term we use, the medical term is necrosis. He had a necrotic condition in his knee 
stuff was literally rotten, going rotten. I mean, it's just amazing to think that I'm not kidding. This is not a joke. This is this is this happened. This guy's knee was dying on the inside, literally. Plus, he had literal corpse tissue in his knee. Oh boy. Whew. Thank God for medical technology, kids. Thank God, because <laughs> man, those. Because those guys, I don't know how those guys played through something they played through in those days. Because basically, the old days, it was cut it open, stuff something in there, see if it worked. That's what it was. Cut it open, stick something in there, see if it worked. Oh. Yep. <laughs> it, was, it was a very different era, young man. It was a very, very, very different era. Whew. Yeah. I mean, it was primitive. Stone knives and bear skins, you know? I mean, it was just so, so primitive. That guy's just playing. God bless him. The guy's, the guy's played with these ridiculous injuries in those days. Things that just, you couldn't play with these. I mean, not, not, somebody would stop you nowadays from playing with these injuries. So they wouldn't let you. They would, they would realize how dangerous it was. We can't let you play with that. But in those days, yeah, you, can, you, can you go, kid? Yeah, yeah, coach. Okay. You still talking about it? Guys played with broken bones, just, I mean, crazy stuff. Serious nerve injuries, just Jack, Jack Youngblood had, what, played with a broken leg or something like yep. that? Yep, yep. He played, played, played the Super Bowl with a broken leg. Yep, yep. Jack Youngblood? And someone, someone, someone said, well, Jim, Jim what would you take for it? He said, aspirin. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> I'm sounds, not sounds like he was in the army. <laughs> every, every, in, every every injury is drink water and take Motrin. <laughs> it was with Did Jack you, Youngblood. We wait. Hold on. Hold on. Were you were you in? Were you in Matthew? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I was. I was in the army. Okay. Oh, that's why right. we talked. We talked iron, dude. We talked little. Yeah, uh, Matthew. At some point, we'll have to do a gun show, right? We'll have to do a gun yeah, show, right. Oh my gosh, yes. Oh, right. We did talk about. That. I remember now. Yeah, you told me. Yeah. See, I was I was an airborne infantry myself, and yes, you're right. Um, I remember one of one of I suffered. I never had any serious injuries. Thank you very much. Uh, I had one, you know, like second, third degree burn, whatever, uh, and they slapped some salve on it. You know, go, <sighs> and then. But the most painful injury I suffered in my entire military, believe it or not, was I had—I I kind of burned in, like had a hot landing, and I bruised the bot, the soles of both feet very badly. Ooh. Oh my God! Like I would rather you shot me. Oh my yeah. God! Oh my God! I—I I never knew. I, it's still the most painful thing ever. I've been stabbed before. Doesn't even compare. Stab me any day over. I'm not kidding. Stab me any day over bruising the bottoms of not one but both feet. Oh, oh, my, God. God. oh my god! Like if you want to, if you want to break <laughs> someone, like get them to tell you anything, bruise their feet, man. Bruise the bottoms of their feet. I would have told you anything. I would have given up any piece of information I had to make that pain stop. Oh. Oh, and there's nothing, nothing you immediately think of as super painful, but it is. Oh, my nickname, my nickname was Ish Ish because, <laughs> well, here's what happened. Because I, you know, I, tr- I was trying to keep, you know, soldiering on. I'm trying to keep going, but I couldn't help it. Every time I did a step, I made a little sound like this. 
I couldn't help it. Like I tried, not to, I couldn't help it. I made a sound when I took step. And when I got back, I was like, oh my god! And I went up half a shoe size too. Like I, my feet. Was, oh my god! I wish I were joking, but no. I had to ask. I had like, well, I need. I'm gonna need some bigger boots because I can't get these suckers off. Oh, that's awful. But um, uh, but yes, rough. yes, it was. I, I wish it was funny. I mean, it's funny now. But if right, someone yeah. told you, if, if, if someone had told me, you know, this is going to be the most painful injury you're ever going to suffer in your life, I'd be like, are you kidding me? Bruises? <laughs> but like, just if just as an experiment, if you just want to have your friends like take a ball peed hammer and smack the bottoms of your feet a few times, <laughs> and then Ooh. call me. <laughs> I'm just going to take your word for it. <laughs> you asked for aspirin? Um, I did get some aspirin, actually. Yes, they did. That's right. Good point. I did get some aspirin. Um, I got, I got, I got restricted duty. I think I was, I wasn't on sick call or whatever, but I did like restricted duty. I was like a desk. What was it? Chairborne Rangers? What I was for a little while. I was a chairborne Ranger. I wrote reports. You know, I'm, here's I'm your profile. Like, Oh, exactly. That's what I did for a while. It's like, oh, paperwork, lovely, but oh my god! But I had to walk a little bit just to get like to and from, like the into my quarters and stuff. And it was oh, slow, slow going, my friends. <laughs> slow, slow going. Oh, uh, because I was trying not to pick my feet up. It was sort of like, shh, shh. yeah. Oh, oh, that sounds like awful. the uh, the week after I did the Baton Death March down at White Sands, New Mexico. Oh. I did, it was a twenty twenty six point two mile event, a full marathon event, but I yep. did it in uniform with a fifty yep. pound rucksack. Pat. Yep. And what oh I, my god, I had a size of yeah. fist. I have a friend, and I'm, I don't know if you're listening out there. Jacek is his real name, but he goes by Jack because usually Americans struggle. But he's Polish born, but he was in the army, uh, in our army, and he competed. He was like, he was like, I don't know, if you know. There's like a competitive ruck march circuit. Yeah. Yeah. Sick, sick people. But he did that stuff. He did that. He did that like in competition. When there's, and oh, some yeah. of them would be like, some of these things would be like 60 miles. It's like, what's wrong yeah. with you people? The, 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 <laughs> Army's, the Army's official like ruck competition team did the full 26.2 miles with 30 pound ruck sacks yep. in four hours, 50 minutes. Yep. yep. And the guys running it as a marathon did it in like three hours something. So these guys did it in just over an hour longer with thirty pounds on their back and wearing boots instead of tennis yep. shoes. Yep. Oh, yep. God. These yep. guys are insane. They are. They're not. my friend. Yep. Jack Gusora, Yasik, if you're out there, if you're listening, God bless you guys. But you're sick. You're wrong. With people. There's something wrong with you people. <laughs> he was one of those people. He was a he was a soccer player. Um, in fact, he even played soccer in college. And I guess he was looking for a you know, challenge or whatever. It's like, okay, you go for it, dude. But, uh, I mean, I did rough marches, but never, like, I never pursued doing extra ones. You know what I mean? Like, I never looked for right. to do more of them. I was fine with the number I did. But I, but I didn't need I didn't, I didn't a single extra one. I didn't need any more rough marches. I had enough of them <laughs> to last me for multiple lifetimes actually I, forever I wouldn't ever. Need, right exactly i don't need any more ever oh thank you man he was dragging me down everything um, <laughs> um okay so chargers we talked about the team here's what i think um 
I do think there'll be some firings, unfortunately, when this year is over. Uh, I, I, Mike McCoy? Could, <laughs> and probably not him. I would try to retain him. I think he's the future. I don't know if you're – please don't take the wrong way, but I don't know if your front office is – well, we'll see. Hey, maybe they'll pull it off. Maybe they'll pull this thing up. I mean, who knows? Maybe they'll make it all happen. They'll, you know, find a way to bring back Rivers and maybe even, you know, Weddle on top. If they do that, then, yeah, I mean, no, you keep your job. But Try bringing Ryan Gregson. Once you lose Ryan job. <laughs> Ryan Gregson. I don't think that's the answer. I don't think Ryan Gregson's the answer. Well, they need <laughs> the offensive players now. You, you, you cannot touch Ryan Gregson. He's perfect where he is. Yeah, I don't, I don't think he's going anywhere. I don't think he's going anywhere, Isaiah, first of all. Uh, Richie McKenzie? Richie McKenzie? Okay, you're going Sorry, the wrong Jim. direction, Isaiah. You're Sorry, going the Jim. wrong direction. <laughs> no, you're going the wrong direction. I don't think Jim would fight you for that, though. I think Jim would be happy to donate <laughs> Richie McKenzie. If that's what you want, if that's what this... Hey, hey, get ready for your draft to include guys with heart problems and brain bleeds and micro fractures. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah, Reggie McKenzie's had an unusual predilection for guys who've had, like, near-death experiences. I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's because he figures they have heart or something or whatever. But, yeah, he's, he's got some scary medicals uh, on that current current. Roster, right? He likes he likes people that love football, Bill. That's all he can really say. <laughs> That's true. Literally, <laughs> he does have some. Yeah, he does have some. There's some stories. There's some human interest stories. That's what we'll say. He's winning the human interest story battle. You've got a lot of guys who overcome a lot on that team. Sorry about that. All right, guys. Well, I I, I gotta yes. call it. No, I know we're, we're, we're wrapping soon anyway, but first okay. of all, thank you, Matthew. It's been a, a rare honor and privilege. And once again, thank you for your service, sir. It's a, it's always a thrill to have a fellow vet on as well. <laughs> thank you very much. Yeah, that, sorry I missed uh, the last opportunity to get on with you guys, but uh, I'll always be uh, happy to come back. You guys are all over happy, and this was a lot of fun. Yeah, we will definitely bring you back further into, like probably right before the preseason, you know, talk about sure. how some of that stuff is shaped up and – you know, who's looking good and who's you know, who's not. But hopefully, mostly good, hopefully. Yeah. And and, and who's yeah. not injured because of all the bubble wrap. Yeah, it's the bubble wrap. <laughs> like, that's how the experiment works out. So, once again, that's Matthew Stanley of uh, Bolson of Blue, a really good guy, and a guy who really has some great insights on the San Diego Chargers situation. Don't pray too much on football, guys. Hey, man. He's and hey, if he, his if his bone wrap solution catches on, you know, it's a copycat <laughs> league. You know. <laughs> we'll see what happens. You know? Right, right. Instead of practicing in like shirts and shells or whatever, they'll practice they're practicing bubble wrap, man. Wrap up. <laughs> All right, thanks guys. Thanks thanks, Matthew. Bye. Bye, Matthew. Now, Jim, it's funny because everything kept coming back to depth. You're a person that does a, what's in, a lot of analytics, a lot of grinding into how teams can and should be put together. And some teams consistently are, are deep, and some teams consistently are just aren't. I mean, Seattle, say what about them, that's a team that always does a good job of building depth. When a guy goes down. Well, kind of, sort of. Well, what do you mean? Kind of, kind of, kind of, they, sort of. they give the illusion 
Like certain <laughs> spots on their de- certain spots on their team, they have a lot of depth. Although when they put Alvin Alvin Bailey out there at tackle against Julius oh. Peppers, are you still on that? Alvin Bailey? Oh, you didn't see the same thing I saw? No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, go back to the safe and watch Alvin Bailey go up against Julius Peppers and then come back to the mouth. That's how great they are at the steps. That, you're that talking about an ideal situation. Great appreciation with how good Russell Wilson is when you watch that. <laughs> yeah, you're you're right. That's not an ideal situation. You don't want you don't want that. And once again, nice, good job on 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 Ted Thompson realizing that Julius Peppers is not a shot fighter. Uh, that he just wasn't being used in an ideal situation. I mean, you saw him, you saw the real Julius Peppers that played last year. Oh, that's the guy that you know ate up the league for three years when he first hit the league. Oh, that yeah, that that cat. I recognize him. You know, that's that when he's right. Yeah. The only free agent acquisition on the Packers. Well, well, they don't do a lot of that. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. Ted Thompson picks his spots when it comes to free agents. He's not a guy out there. You know, yeah, he's not a Super Bowl run, though. Well, they, like, yeah, go ahead. I mean, for the Super Bowl run, what exactly did they? I mean, they got a lot of undrafted free agent types. And, yep, Charles um, Woodson, a bunch of other free agents they added that year. Oh, yeah, Charles Woodson. I wouldn't say a bunch. It was still a sprinkling compared to what other teams do. I mean, it wasn't like you brought in eight guys. Right, you didn't bring in eight guys. I mean, you brought in three. Yeah, it wasn't like... They also had the greatest free agent signing in NFL history in their franchise. Oh. Oh, Oh, they they swiped the minister from Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> hey, God wants you to play for the Packers. Yeah. <laughs> and as as often when God intervenes, things worked out pretty well for all involved. I mean, Reggie got his Super Bowl. Philadelphia. <laughs> well, not so much for Philadelphia, you know, but God clearly does not love Philadelphia. I mean, we we clearly can we can clearly find a a, a through line going back decades that prove that God is not a big fan of Philadelphia. Hey, they threw they threw snowballs at Santa Claus. I mean that ain't right. Yeah, that might that might be part you, of it, yeah. You know, I could live with throwing snowballs at Santa Claus, but thinking Reggie White was extendable. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh Philly can. I used to be one of them. Yeah, I mean, when I think about that team when they had Clyde Simmons and Seth okay. Joyner and Wes Hopkins, and they had Jerome Brown and Reggie White on the same defensive line. Yep, playing next to each other, no less. I mean, it was. That's an insane functional strength, right? Yes, and when I think about. <laughs> But I, th- I mean, still, when I think about dominant, single-game, dominant defensive performances, people talk about the Super Bowl when, you know, the Bears essentially ate the, pack- the Patriots alive. I mean, that comes who to mind, that, too. But... Who was that tackle that Reggie White killed for the, for, the, for the Patriots? 
I mean, Red, he beat him with a swim move, a bull rush, yep. and then a, yep. then a straight speed move. I mean, they kind of look over like look over Parcells like Copeland. I said, "Man, Parcells was like, what are we doing?" Yeah, it was. I want to watch Reggie White. I still, oh, I still, Ooh. I still get a little, little tick that they gave uh, Desmond Howard Reggie White in the game four. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's that was a that was an interesting situation. You know, I mean, you have and not that Desmond Howard didn't have an impressive performance. Don't get me wrong; he, he certainly did. But sheesh, whew, Reggie White when he was at his best, and this is after he's lost a little something on his fastball. But my gosh, well, I will never forget when I watched him. Obviously, not he was in college, but when he was in the USFL, whew, USFL Reg- Reggie White. Oh my God. Oh my Reggie God. White set Reggie White set the single season and career record at Tennessee for sacks in nineteen eighty two SEC. Yep. Where they threw I the mean, ball where they threw the ball about twelve times a game. In pre Steve Spurrier SEC. Yep. Right. That's where, ridiculous. This, that, this is when Vanderbilt was the only team that would throw the ball 20 times a game sometimes. And most teams <laughs> wouldn't get close to it. It was a – I mean, it's about run heavy. I mean, again, if you're below us, you can't even imagine. I mean, it, this is run heavy to the – people talk about LSU uh, a couple years Thomas ago when they had uh, – Derek Thomas' senior year at Alabama. If you drop back and get Alabama that that year, Derek Thomas threw your quarterback on the ground. Yep. Twenty eight sacks in nineteen yep. eighties SEC. Yep. <laughs> he was he was also I mean, there's a short list of guys that that are just stupid, ridiculous, unstoppable. We haven't seen their like, and we won't see them again anytime soon. So that's why when I tell people to slow their roll when they're starting to say, you know, J.J. Watt's the greatest defensive player of all time. I was like, oh, wait there for a second. Like, just and wait a minute. Well, I mean, <laughs> there's been a lot of great players, and you haven't seen them all, first of all. You know, you missed Reggie a lot of guys. Reggie would have the best. Reggie's in the discussion. I'll say that much. Lawrence Taylor, got to be in the discussion. And Derek Thomas, unfortunately, died young, but <laughs> got to be in the discussion. And, you know, if you if you, like that, if you don't like that, a guy like Deacon Jones. I was gonna say, if you don't, if you don't, if you ain't hip, right? If you don't, if you don't watch tape of Deacon Jones, I mean, so many of the things that pass rushers do now are things that people got from Deacon Jones. Now, obviously, you can't do everything Deacon did because they outlawed some of that stuff. But that's what when, when you're so good, they outlaw stuff because you're doing it. <laughs> yeah, that, that tells you something, right? For 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 sixty years, guys have been doing this, but when you do it, they have to make it illegal. So yeah, that hey, tells you something. Is any of this first enforcement still around? Uh, sadly, sadly, no. Oh no, wait, Rosie Greer. Rosie Greer is still. Around. Actually, yeah. two members. I take it back. Yeah, two members still around. Roger Brown, who replaced Rosie Greer, is also still alive and should be in the Hall of Fame, though he isn't. He's a successful restaurant owner uh, in Suffolk, Virginia. But uh, Rosie Greer is very much alive, and Rosie Greer is uh, still an amazing human being. He's like, to a Forrest Gump, Rosie Greer is like Forrest Gump. 
this, you, there's pictures of Bob Dylan and Rosie Greer's in the background. There's pictures of Robert Kennedy, Rosie Greer's in the background. Pictures. I mean, it's amazing that you go. Rosie Greer was the first. Greer was the first guy that got to Robert Kennedy when he was shot. Yep, and he's also the person that disarms Sir Hans Sir Hans. You know, so and saves Sir Hans Sir Hans from the the crowd because uh, he, he 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 disarms Sir Hans Sir Hans, throws him up against the wall, throws his body between the crowd and Sir Hans Sir Hans. Says nobody touches this man. <laughs> And, of course, it being Rosie Greer, people were like, okay, Rosie, whatever, whatever you say. <laughs> and, of course, he's, he's, he's there because he had torn his Achilles, and he didn't know his career was over. Um, he thought he was going to come back and play again, but once again, medical technology of the era, hey, he did such a great job of fixing Achilles in those days. And uh, so Roger Brown, who had been a great player with Detroit, comes over to Los Angeles and completes the final version, or one of the final versions of the, of the fearsome foursome, but um, yes, so those two players are still alive. Um, but obviously, was there Youngblood on that team? N- not yet. Um, Youngblood joins the team. Um, Deacon's gone. Deacon's actually in San Diego by the time Youngblood gets there. In fact, he replaces him to some extent. Um, so that was, they weren't really the fearsome force anymore at that point. Lamar mm-hmm. Lundy was, was, was gone. Rosie Greer was gone. Olsen was still around. And Deacon was now playing in San Diego. So when Fred Dreyer and Youngblood are there, they still have Olsen, but they're not really the fearsome force anymore. They're a really good defensive line. You know, they were really, really good. I remember those guys very, very clearly, and they were very, very good, but they weren't the fearsome force. But they were good. That's right. You know, so, That's one of the reasons. So, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, you go I was just going to say, that's why I believe the Rams should move back to Los Angeles, all that history back then. Sure. I mean, I'd be okay with it. I hate teams moving around, but I guess if you're going back, you know, it's not quite as bad. As a, um, and frankly, St. Louis deserves a franchise, and I mean, I'd like to give them the Cardinals back, but I don't think the people of Arizona would like that very much. Um, no, I w- no, I wouldn't. <laughs> right, 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 I know. But, I mean, <laughs> you know, the Cardinals – now, I remember, obviously, the Cardinals in St. Louis. I don't, my father, my late father at least, could remember them, obviously, in – in Chicago, where George Blanda at one point was their quarterback uh, early in his career, and guys like Charlie Trippy and uh, um, um, old Aces and Pains, Ollie Matson, guys like that, played for the old Chicago Cardinals before they eventually moved west to. I mean, here's the crazy thing: at one point, didn't they? no, no, originally they moved to St. Louis. The Cardinals moved to St. Louis. It was the St. Louis Cardinals after the Chicago Cardinals. When they first came, when they first were invented, they were the Chicago Cardinals. But you have to remember that this was a very east eastern thing. I mean, the NFL didn't have a lot of western presence. They, they got their original western presence from the old AAFC. The 49ers were a survivor from that other league that they absorbed, as were um, some other teams. Like that's how they got the Browns. Things like that. These are teams that came from they absorbed from another league. The NFL originally was very much east of the Mississippi. There was nobody west of the Mississippi for a very long time. So the westward expansion didn't really happen until the late 40s and early 50s. And like I said, partially because they, they, they absorbed the old American football conference. 
And people, one thing that's different with the AFL, there was a lot of feeling that, well, maybe these guys can't compete until, of course, the Browns beat the living daylights out of everybody. It's like, oh, well, maybe these guys are pretty good. But, um, I mean, like I said, it's, it's, people start throwing around terms like greatest of this, greatest of that, and Tom Brady, blah, blah, blah. Like, no offense, but in 10 years, playing, well, I'm just saying, but, United. Or, or Otto or Otto Graham, in 10 years, this guy won seven championships. Who can say that? You know, and, and, and for good measure, he won an NBA championship on top of it. <laughs> because in the offseason, he played professional basketball. Tom Brady ever do that? Joe Montana ever no. do that? So, I mean, people are like, you know, some sort of greatest winners of all time or whatever, because people go by, win, you know, QB wins, obviously, is something I always, always look sidelong side, side, side at. But still, if that's what you want to go by, it's not Montana. It's not Brady. It's Otto Graham, man. Automatic Otto Graham won more championships in a in a ten year period than anybody, even more than United, even more than than Bart Starr. And if you look at his numbers compared to where his peers, <laughs> crazy <laughs> numbers are crazy. If you if you if you adjust for a time period, I mean, this guy was doing things that were just, you know, just. Once again, the passing game was super primitive in those days for almost everybody. But Paul Brown, who, you know, was in many ways the first Bill Walsh, invented, I mean, the modern passing tree, the routes we talk about, most of them were invented. The slant route, that's Paul Brown. Like a bunch of the routes that you know of were invented by Paul Brown. You know, the, the, the button hook, as he called it. I mean, there's probably more than half of the modern passing tree is all – the invention of Paul Brown. So these guys I mean, helped. He, 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 was really a, he was really a football savant. But by the time he yeah. was 36, he had won his first national championship with the Buckeyes yep. and, yeah. had built the, and had built the powerhouse in Massillon, Ohio. Yep. So by the time he was 36. Yep. <laughs> yep. By and the time he was 45, and, he had won like seven championships. Yep. In his, <laughs> And, and they throw into that that he missed some time in the military, but his military teams, look at some of the dudes he had on those teams he had when he was coaching in the, in the military during World War II. I mean, if, if he could have taken those guys with him, you know, and he started a franchise in whatever in league, whatever professional league, he would have won championships with those guys too. He was an amazing coach who, like I said, invented so much of what we think of as modern football you have to remember the passing game when he sort of came to professional football. There weren't even really routes in the normal sense. I mean, literally, it was like sandlot. The passing game was like sandlot. You know, can you beat your guy? Yeah, I can beat this guy. He's a bum. Okay, well, I'm gonna throw it to you. I mean, it was almost literally that bad. I mean, I'm I'm barely exaggerating, barely. So, what Brown said was, we're gonna we're gonna time it out. So the number of steps you're taking away from center are going to coincide with where this guy is in his route. Here's the landmark you're going to hit. The whole idea of hitting a landmark by the quarterback's foot hitting, you know, on his fifth step, that's Paul Brown. That's where that comes from. All that stuff of the whole timing-based passing, that's Paul Brown. Yep. Yep. 
You know, so I can't really without, add anything to that. No, well, so without Paul Brown, we don't have modern offense. We don't have Sid Gilman. We don't have Bill Walsh. We don't have any of these guys that people call the father of the modern passing game without Paul Brown. So, ironically, Sid Gilman was up for the job to replace Paul Brown, but he made the mistake of being Jewish. And in those days, that was not considered a good thing. And so he decided to go with, of all people, you know, they, they have this incredible innovative, you know, mind in Paul Brown. So who's the next guy to hire? Woodrow Hayes. Now, he was a great, great coach, don't get me wrong. But, you know, the Ohio State offense that was once one of the more cutting-edge offenses in football took about a 40-year step backwards. It was still very effective, but it was no longer cutting-edge. So Sid Gilman, who desperately wanted the Ohio State job, you know, was forced, quote-unquote, uh, to take his talents to, to professional football, originally as an assistant, eventually in the AFL as a head coach, and in the NFL as a head coach with uh, uh, with the Eagles. And he was one of the guys also that, you know, like I said, introduced a lot of what we think of in the modern passing game. So you have these two guys, you know, Ohio guys, both of them actually, uh, in Paul Brown and, and Sid Gilman, one of whom, you know, sort of his thoughts are more towards the controlled passing game than Paul Brown, and he greatly influenced obviously guys like Bill Walsh. And then the other guy is the, you know, light your hair on fire and throw a deep guy, obviously. But but even he um, would seem somewhat conservative by what goes on nowadays. I mean, he still believed that you had to run the ball and, Stuff like that. He, but when he threw it, he liked to throw it deep. You know, he was, also, didn't like uh, it. He was also kind of, strangely enough, a huge influence on Buddy Ryan and the way Buddy Ryan developed uh, developed uh, the, the defense that he became known for. Because uh, when Buddy Ryan worked for Sid Gilman, with, I think it was the Jets. Uh, they worked together with the Jets, that's correct. Sid Gilman had said that the most important thing beyond the Beyond everything else, most important thing, protect the quarterback at all costs. Yep. And Buddy Ryan said if he thought the protect the quarterback at all costs was the most important thing, I'm going to say throw him on the ground at all costs. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. He said I had to hit the – his goal was to hit the quarterback on every play. That was – Buddy said that. I mean, he when, he when he put together his defense, his first thought was, "I what, what can I do to hit the quarterback every single time? And he would sacrifice other things in order to do that. His, you had to have the right guys to run his defense. You couldn't run Buddy's defense with, with anybody. That would, that would blow up in your face in an ugly, ugly, ugly fashion. Ugly. Because <laughs> it was a high-risk, high-reward defense. <laughs> And so he didn't need to blitz a great deal because it was he, the way you did things. You should you should get a lot of natural pressure, but when you do blitz, it's oof, you know because of the way they played, it had to get there. They had to get there. You were asking guys to to do almost impossible things in the back part of the defense, with the understanding that you're going to get pressure. If that pressure doesn't get home, you're going to get burned. That that was a almost guaranteed. Burned if you didn't get pressure. But I think one of the best, one, that year that they won the Super Bowl, they were incredible. I mean, they it just, was awesome. Yes, 
the the one game they lost, I still say greatest individual, one of the two or three greatest individual performances I've ever seen. Dan yeah. Marino beat them all by himself. Pretty much, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, I mean, they they kept coming, and he just kept. <laughs> well, they always keep coming. I mean, that that never changes. They they're it's a it's an eight man front basically. I mean, you're you're basically defending in the back half with three dudes. So, <laughs> so you don't need to blitz. You're bringing eight all the time anyway. <laughs> who, who are you going to blitz? And, Who's left? And Dan Marino is like flicking his wrist and throwing 30-yard bombs. <laughs> yep. Yep. And here's the funny thing. The person, the person who really killed them was actually the tight end. They couldn't cover the tight end. I mean, that defense is built in such ways you, you, you sort of accept that you're not going to cover the tight end. I mean, you sort of say, well, you know, we're going to basically not cover the tight end. I mean, that's kind of one of the weaknesses of the defense that they, they sort of tell you, we're not going to really worry about covering your tight end. We're not, we're not worried about that. That's not something we're concerned with. We're not even going to pretend to cover your tight end. I mean, that's, that's true. I mean, the way the defense is designed, you can't, if you have a great, great tight end and you can get the ball to him, you could cut that defense up because they, they don't believe in covering the tight end. They don't. We're going to – why would I waste this guy covering a tight end when he can still be hitting your quarterback was basically Buddy Ryan's thought process. <laughs> I can't have my Sam backer covering your tight end. He's busy laying, your, laying on top of your quarterback. Otis Wilson can't be covering someone's tight end. He needs to be hitting well, people. Or our Sam linebacker, Al Harrison, he's really a defensive end, too. Yes, right, true, <laughs> true, right, that's also true. So, no, he, he didn't believe in worrying about that stuff. I can't be bothered with covering your tight end. So if you had a really, really good tight end, or you can get the ball to him, I guess you could really make some – you could make hay because that's something they just – that defense was designed all around pressure. It's an eight-man front. We're bringing all eight pretty much all the time. We're covering with three dudes, three. If you have four guys in the pattern, one guy's running free. We're only covering three. That's what we do. So, you know, you, you could really make some stuff happen if you could get the ball out, and that's what he did. He managed to get the ball I out. I must say, playing free safety for Buddy Ryan was not for the weak at heart. <laughs> no, no, it was not. No. Plank, Plank and Sensick, I mean, they weren't the glamour guys, but Plank and Sensick made it go. He couldn't have done what he did if he didn't have super smart guys like Plank and Sensick back there because he asked them to figure a whole bunch of stuff out and they did everything they did with essentially no help. There's never any help. The safeties, I mean, you, he didn't believe in helping the safeties. Safeties are there to help other people, not to be helped. So his philosophy was, yeah, I need you to clean up the messes, clean up an aisle, you know, whatever, 50-yard line or whatever. That's all you, safeties. You've got to clean that up. I, these other guys are all doing other stuff. You know, these other dudes, these eight, eight dudes basically are concerned with, you know, my corners cover for a little while, and then I need these other dudes to all hit quarterbacks. And then you, I've got you in the box. He's got one of his safeties in the box. The other guy is responsible for everything else. <laughs> You've got to take care of everything else. That's all you. So, yeah, you, you're right. No, no. Talk about safety. Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah. Yes. Single high barely describes it, man. He, he I mean, you had 
you have all the responsibility from about 12 yards away from the line of scrimmage to the end zone. That's all and remember, you. And remember, I mean, Mike Singletary, he ain't going backwards. He's coming downhill, baby. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so so oh, you right got it in front of you and back. <laughs> The only the only linebacker who he dropped in the coverage, and because he was good at it, was Wilbur Marshall. He would drop Wilbur Marshall in the coverage sometimes. Usually a sort of like a surprise deal, but he was good at coverage. Wilbur Marshall, one year had I think had three. I think one year Wilbur Marshall had three interceptions. One I think he, one of which he returned for a touchdown. In fact, it was it was that that eighty five season. He had three picks and he returned one for a touchdown. And you could tell Wilbur had been a running back in high school. He moved. He looked good when he got the ball in his hands. You know, he wasn't looking for a soft place to lay, lay down. He was. He was making people move, making people miss, and you know, he, he looked good. He was. A, you could tell he'd been a running back. He he made moves and spins and all kinds of cool stuff. But um, that was a rare. And then here's the crazy thing: by the numbers, they, their best defense was actually the one the next year, the '86 defense. Mm-hmm. Um, they got Todd Bell back that year. People forget Todd Bell held out the entire year. Later, I assume much to his regret, but he held out the entire year. And Todd Bell had been a starter. This wasn't a reserve. Todd Bell had been a starter. And he held out the entire year. So they they gained back, you know, when Todd Bell reported the next season, they gained back one of their better players on defense. And their numbers were better. They gave up fewer yards and fewer points, total points at least, that next year. They didn't require as many turnovers, though. They didn't generate as many turnovers in 86. But, but they, they actually gave up fewer yards and fewer points just didn't get the same return. They, they didn't score as much themselves. That's the other thing about well, the 85 defense. It scored a lot. Yeah. I mean, well, the other thing, Buddy Ryan doesn't like offense. You know, he doesn't like, he doesn't like you know, uh, as he says, Chuck and Duck. No, like he doesn't like it. that. No, he doesn't uh, like that. You know, that type of offense. But um, I, I kind of change the subject just for a second here. Uh, yeah, that's reading the uh, thing about Ty Sambrello, who's apparently going to be the starting left tackle for Denver. Yeah, yeah. And essentially what this article says is they're basically – the Broncos aren't going to sacrifice Peyton Manning's last season to develop Ty Sambrello, but that does seem like that's what they're doing. They're going to sacrifice Peyton Manning this year. I was wondering what you guys' thoughts were on that. Well, better. I don't think the Broncos think of it that way. I mean, I would I would be surprised if that was their thought process. It's like, well, Peyton's had a nice run. Let's if we have to sacrifice him, that's cool. But let's let's really focus on developing this young tackle. I don't believe that's the discussions they're having. If it is, I, I'll be surprised if that's what they're saying. I think they think I think they think Sambrella can hold up, right? I mean, that's got to be what they think. Really? I didn't say I agree. Okay. I said that's oh, no, got to be what they say. And then they also were saying, like, should, should he play left guard? And they're like, well, he's not powerful enough to hold up the inside. So how is he powerful enough to be a tackle? I mean, if you're not yeah, you know, I've never, I've never understood that. <laughs> we, we want to put some weight guy out there and tackle? <laughs> yeah, that worries me a little bit. <laughs> 
I mean, I, I don't want a weak guy anywhere on my offensive line. No weak offensive team, no weak offensive line. <laughs> Yeah, that's scary a little it, bit. It, 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 if my scout says he's too weak, let's try to get him on somebody else's team. Let's not draft him. I mean, God. Well, the, I mean, the, the assumption the assumption is that we can get him stronger, we can get him in the weight room. We, teams always assume that. Well, once he gets in an NFL weight program, he'll get bigger and stronger. And it does happen more often than not, but it's a, it's a lot to assume. Not everyone gets bigger and stronger. It doesn't always work. No, that's a scary. It's it's just the one thing about Sambrello is a developmental offensive tackle. You're gonna maybe, (laughs) (laughs) maybe you know, don't go that far. I mean, I I always viewed him as a guard. If he gets stronger, I know Bill, you were like, like how can he try to play guard? I get that. I'm just saying that <laughs> as an athlete, he's not very powerful. He's not very fast. He's right. reasonably dynamic to be a shielding type of guy, and that's why I said guard. Because you could put him in a ZBS scheme as a guard, and he shield guys, which isn't special <laughs> either. But I don't know. It's just fine. No. I, I was just thinking about because. You know, Big Manning, 39 years old this year. And, I mean, we, you know, eventually we're going to have a show where we're going to reflect on the, the memories. And, um, I, so. My opinion is that Peyton Manning next year will have Steve Underwood's current job. But either way, so it's whether or not he comes, you know, how banged up he gets there. So, And I guess he's going to come pretty banged up. He, he's like, yeah, because, yeah, again, guys, I, I remember Remember, I, I remember Brett Favre's you know, final season where his body basically said, "Nope, you're done." <laughs> you know, you know after. Yeah, that, and that's the and that's the way most great quarterbacks go. Most, yeah, most. I mean, the the art the the ability to play quarterback is still there. The you know the the ability to all the things a quarterback could do. You know the right. The, to read the defense, to make, to deliver the ball on time, it's all still there. You just about you just can't take the hits anymore. You can't take exactly. Exactly. Actually, Dan Marino could wake up, roll out of bed at forty, whatever he is now, forty, no, fifty, fifty, whatever he is now, and still throw the ball better than probably all but maybe eleven or twelve dudes in the league right now. You know. I mean, his ability to, to basically read even the throw, that, that's, he could do that stuff now, today at 50-something. Let me say uh, 54, 53, whatever he is now. He could still do that stuff. That's his arm. I guarantee you it's fine. His ability to read defense is still there. But if you hit him, he won't get up anymore. That's the issue. He will stop getting up. You know, I mean, Joe Montana walked away not because – he couldn't play anymore because he had a series of back injuries. Those things are scary. Back injuries are scary. Very, very I mean, that, that, I mean, that's when – I mean, and that, that's going to happen to a guy that normally happens somewhere around 38 or 39. Right. That's Steve Young. I mean, so, you know, he's a, I mean Steve Young was, was concussion. I mean, just like with, uh, with Aikman. 
Those are guys mm-hmm. that could have played five more years probably, you know, because though Steve Young was like 37 when he hung it up. He was very young, 37, because, you know, he, his career had been sort of broken up in such a way he hadn't played a lot. And Aikman was 34, 33, something like that. I bet he was like 32 when he quit. He might have been 33, I think. What is that? But he was fairly young. But really young. Concussion. Concussion. You know. If, yeah, what? Concussion, concussions tell you, you know, if you listen, concussions will tell you to stop doing stupid stuff like that. You stop playing. Yeah. Yeah, if, you, if, you're, if, you're forget, if you're forgetting what you had for breakfast, it's time to stop. Well, yeah, I, right. As I, as, as I used to say, Troy was answering the phone, but it wasn't Rick. I mean, you know, if you're if you're if you're if, you're, if someone asks you your name and you're like having to think for a second, it's time to go get in the booth. Yeah, so, so yeah, I mean, it's there's a. There's a few guys who walk away on top. I mean, I mean people talk about Elway, you know, with the right mouth and stuff like that. But, you know, by the same token, his body also is telling him, you know, hey, son, you know, we're about done with this movie. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. I think, yeah, I think Elway, uh, he, he, Elway was a guy who knew he was at the end. All he wanted to do was win one, and then he won two, and he said, I ain't got to go away a cripple. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Right. I mean, he he was one of those guys who I mean, that's that's the ending you want. It's the magical storybook ending. That's the one you want. You know, you get to go. You're home with Lombardi. You're you know you know the Hall of Fame is going to be called in five years and one second. You know, you, that's the way you want to do it. You'd like to have that happen. You know, but I mean, once again, Warren Moon. Warren Moon could have conceivably played longer, but he two things. One is he would have become sort of a vagabond, you know, gun for hire kind of thing. He he no longer was in a position where he could be the guy for a franchise for long periods of time anymore. And but one that's another guy. I mean, his his numbers. You look at his numbers. There's no huge drop off. Like he's still effective. You don't see that. You know, precipitous like Dominic Nab thing mm-hmm. where it's like I'm really good. I'm really good. I'm just about elite. I'm just about elite. Then, oh, where it's crazy. Nab. <laughs> I mean, people forget how good Dominic Nab was. At one point, prior to the last two seasons, person, yeah. well, no, people forget. Prior to the last two seasons of his career, he led everyone ever in the history of football in touchdown interception ratio. Everyone ever until the last two seasons of his career. Everyone, you know, not that's just a few people. All of the quarterbacks who ever played football in the history of football and professional football. And did, and he does did a lot with less. Remember that Super Bowl. Your, oh, other before that, well, I mean, just, Todd Pinkston was leading receiver. Yeah, he had one. Well, and James Thrash many years ago. Well, James Thrash people. So he had one year with a truly elite receiver, right? And yeah. look what happened, right? Exactly. <laughs> he had one year with a truly elite receiver. Look what happened. I mean, think about what happened. What would his career have been like if he hadn't been throwing to Fred X, James Thrash, Todd Pinkston? They had a really good tight end most of the time. Uh, I mean, what, Brian Westbrook's probably the best running back he ever played with. Brian Westbrook so, by far is the best running back he ever played with. So Deuce McCallis. You, know, you forget how good Westbrook was, though. <laughs> Deuce Daly had a couple of good years, too. But 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 they, they he didn't play with a lot of – I mean, there's 
with the exception of Terrell Owens, there's not a lot of Hall of Fame type dudes that he's played with. Um, that he he carried a lot of that offense, a lot of that offense himself. Tio had his true. And yeah, I mean, like I said, Tio had one terrific season. Good season. And there, he's a diva the second season. Well, he was a diva the first season too, but you can, it's easy to pop with it he when he's being productive. He was, it's, easy, it's easy to put up with him as being productive. He was, like I said, he had one year. I mean, you think about, people always, you know, people talk about, well, Tom Brady only had one, you know, one year with so-and-so and one year with, but you put Gronkowski, uh, you know, uh, one year with Randy Moss and, you know, a couple years with, uh, with um, uh, Wes Welker, and you, you offer that to, to uh, McNabb, I guarantee you take it. He would take that and be like, thank you very much. I, I'm i pretty sure he probably won a couple of circles after he had that kind if of he, If he had that, if he had those guys, yeah, I think he might. <laughs> he was very close. Well, he came very close. He came very close with basically one guy to throw to, right? You know, he had, he had one two. dude. Right, imagine two. <laughs> what could he have done? And he he was on top of that. Well, what was that tight end? That year? No, Smith, not not. Latavius Smith was right at the end of his career with the with the Eagles, and L.J. Smith was not the best tight end he ever threw to. Um, yeah, I mean, he did. There were better guys than that, but they actually featured the. I mean, once again, because Andy Reid believed in the tight end, they actually featured the tight end a reasonable amount. He had a couple of decent ones in his career, but the, the second best receiver man I played with was Deshaun Jackson, but that was very brief. Once again, at the end, right at the end. Um, if he'd had a guy like that and Terrell Owens at the same time, that would have been not nah, nah, you're talking. But unfortunately, he never had that at the same time. He had, you know, once again, sort of the one-guy situation. I think that that was sort of gave got a lot of crap for how badly he played. Well, we can't rely on him. Well, I would I would dispute that you couldn't rely on him. He was one of the most reliable quarterbacks in the well, league. Well, not the numbers. His numbers were really good until the last two years. I mean, like I said, he his numbers are great, in fact, until the last two years of his career. I mean, he had, like I said, the best touchdown interception ratio in the history of professional football at one point. In the NFL professional football, at least, he led the NFL in its history in touchdown interception ratio. I don't know how else to put that. Like, that's something people – sort of somehow managed to sort of blow past it like it doesn't mean anything. And even with those bad last two seasons, he's still near the top in the history of professional football. He's one of, he has one of the best such interception ratios ever still, even with the Holy terrible year. You know, so people just, part of it is the Philadelphia effect, you know. <laughs> um, you get to God, it's not like Philadelphia. So that's part of it. But, they also had a good defense around that time. Well, they usually had good defenses. Um, I don't know about – I'm going to say great, but they really had good defenses. Most of it. Stephon Kurz, Brian Dawkins, just to name off a few. Yeah, I mean, they had, like I said, good. I wouldn't say great, but they had good defenses. They had above that – and they were great. Once again, very – we talked about Buddy Ryan, but, you know, I mean, Jim Johnson was another one of those guys. Uh, he brought the house. He loved Rest in peace. Place. Yes, that's good piece. He loved to blitz. Loved it. Couldn't blitz. He, he, and, you know, I, I got to be honest, though, you know, when we gave when we gave him Javon Kurt, I mean, you know, he was 
he didn't have that foot injury, and he wasn't right. the same freak once they got him. No, no, he wasn't <laughs> that Jamar Chris. He wasn't that dude. He wasn't the four four eight forty thirty eight. But was he Randy Gregory Javon Kersell? He was probably still better than Randy Gregory for being honest. Probably, yeah. With a busted foot. <laughs> right. But yes, but he stopped being the super freak. In the era. I mean that part, that Javon Curse that first year he came in the league, he elevated the Titans defense from a good defense to a defense that was if they had won it, they would be remembered as one of the best defensive people in the Yeah, that, if they that would have made If they had won in either one of those years, in 1999 or 2000. And people even, they, they, you know, I get aggravated about the 99, the, the Super Bowl, in two, well, I guess it was in 2000, where it was just one, in, one yard short. I said, no, that's, I, I'm stoned from that one. The season that kills me is the 2000 season. And I know that was the best take ball that year. <laughs> yep. I, I, can ex- I can accept losing, you know, in a year when they probably, the Rams were probably the best team in the NFL that year. But. Yeah, they're the greatest show on turf. Not only <laughs> great offense, but people had, they had underrated defense, too. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. That was, a, that was a solid all team all the way around. They, had, they were good in all phases. Especially so, Stephen Jackson along with Marshall Fox. Yeah, yeah, they, they had they had solid. They were a solid team in all areas: offensive line, defensive line, secondary, linebacker core, good special teams, good period. Adam Archuleta. <laughs> well, he was probably at his best. I'll say that much. <laughs> so, Jim Coburn, tell people what you're what you're up to. What you're uh, tell people what you've been up to. What I've been up to? Okay. Uh, well, I've been doing, uh, you know, defensive market share NFL stuff. I've been working on that uh, over the last – trying to get about 15 years' worth of stuff um, to look at and examine. And it's uh, pretty pretty interesting. Uh, lots of the same – you would be surprised, Bill, but the same correlations in the NFL are kind of like the correlations in college football. But – uh, in terms of, uh, you know, solo tackle market share and uh, stuff like that. So uh, eventually when I get done with all that, getting all that data, I'll put out a couple articles, something I've been working on, analyzing the data. You know. So Scooby Ride is really good? Oh, what was that? So Scooby Ride is really good? I don't know. Uh, I don't know if he's good or not. Apparently uh, people think he's not good. So... I guess I'll have to take their word for it. I don't know what else to say. You don't take a little advice. Don't take anybody's word, word for it but your own. Oh, okay. I'm just, <laughs> just, just some guy said he wasn't good, so now he's not good, I guess. I, I don't know. Uh, if you watch and it, again, I'm not disagreeing that Miles Jack is a much more athletic linebacker at all. He is definitely a much more athletic, much more potential they like, as the kids like to say, potential. But in terms of, list. Right. But in terms of linebacker things, 
you know, instinct, production, sex, that kind of stuff. Uh, Peter Wright is, is better in terms of yeah. on-field production. I'll tell you something else. When they get to the combine and uh, you guys can build, build, you push the save button, there won't be as yeah. much separation from Wright to Miles Jack as people think there are. Yep. Agreed. Yeah. We'll see. So, <laughs> anyway, so I'm doing that. Uh, that that's the whole down off for football sports. Dot <clears throat> com when I get done. I'm also working on, and all of you are invited uh, to the first annual international draft Nick award on Monday on Jeff Lloyd's uh, show, uh, the draft show, and we're going to have special guests. We're going to have draft Nick of the year. Uh, we're going to have the Joel Book Bomb Bomb Award. Uh, which is I missed uh, out. Best... Uh, what? I said I missed out on that award. Just kidding. Oh, well, it goes to the best small school scouts. So I don't know how many small school <laughs> I'm just kidding. players you... Yeah, uh, because <laughs> if you're if you're scouting small school players, Bill, you're pretty dedicated. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. <laughs> if right. you're doing that. <laughs> so it's kind of like that. It kind of means a double meaning to it. We're also going to have the Mel Piper Viper Award. Uh, which goes to the <laughs> goes to like uh, the best podcast. Uh, Mel Kuyper's uh, School Book Award goes for the best draft guide. A uh, bunch of different awards. So, uh, I like that. All you guys are invited. Uh, we're going to be releasing the nominees as well, uh, leading up to the show, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's basically kill time with a segment, but hey, there's no draft Nick Awards. And we were kind of debating on what we call it. I guess drafties. Kind of like the drafties. Yeah. The drafties, yeah. you know? The drafties, <laughs> yes. I like it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, we're, we're going to go with uh, with that for the uh, – we, we don't know what the trophies are going to be. If they're going to be like some, like, Bitcoin sort of situation or something. We don't, we don't know yet. But <laughs> we're going to come up with, with something. Uh, if it's electronic or not, it's going to be some sort of – trophy that's a draft So, yeah. So we're going to be doing that next week on Monday. Excellent. 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 Um, Isaiah, what have you been working on most recently? Well, I've been bugging you guys on Twitter on with comparison. I just had finished up my OS this morning. Um, I have just finished my top 100 uh, players to watch this year for college football. Some guys I haven't played yet, but, you know, are new. And right now I'm getting ready to do ranking the college quarterbacks coming in for the and this coming draft players that are eligible and you know are seen our senior quarterbacks too. So I'm I'm gonna probably do uh first the main five position groups like quarterback running back, wide receiver and tight end. Uh probably do those um, and then eventually near the end of this, this drought of the NFL season right now, since OTA is wrapped up, he's probably going to do some players that might lose their job to the Cardinals. Um, so, yeah, that's really all about it. So, so okay. it, Logan, Logan Thomas isn't making it, is he? Uh, I believe he will. Are they going to move him to tight end? 
Oh, that? No, 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 no. You kidding me? That? <laughs> I don't think you can catch. Well, he's a quarterback. He can, I mean, quarterbacks have hand-eye coordination. I don't know if you know it, but to get a snap from center takes Tell that a level of pass-catching ability. Alexa Joe Webb. Yeah, we'll we'll see we'll see how that works out. Okay, well I I would I think I definitely would like to have you maybe bring some of your stuff out in terms of guys that you uh that you're spotlighting. We'll probably start doing that next week. I'll talk about some of my guys on spotlighting for two thousand sixteen next week as well. Uh Steve, what have you been up to? Steve Morton, what are you doing, sir? Uh, mostly, I'm just uh, you know looking at the, the Titans training camp. That's what I've been mostly this type of year. It's just to see who's gonna uh, you know basically same thing. Yeah, who's gonna make it? And who's not? Uh, who's in trouble? Is Zach Menberger gonna make it? Uh, he'll make the team. Yeah. Uh, no, no, no question. Yeah, he'll make the team. Question. Um, I, the the hope in, in the Titans village is that uh, that Matt Berger has a nice long career sitting on the bench. <laughs> 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 uh, when, when, they drafted, when, when they draft a quarterback at number two, they're making a statement, really, on what they think. <laughs> uh, sure. One one guy that I think is in trouble is Mike Martin. Uh, that would be a that's a name that people know, seem to know, that I uh, think he's in a, quite a bit of trouble uh, as far as making the team. And the uh, guy that, uh, you know, the, the coach keeps talking about is Justin Hunter, and it's not a, in a good way. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> yep. Yeah. We'll trade him to our Cardinals. <laughs> we'll get something uh, for him. All right, second rounder. <laughs> yeah, maybe a third, <laughs> but... If, if you if you offer to find the second rounder for Justin Hunter, oh my god, <laughs> he'd be on your team. Oh, he he, heck, they drive it. They drive him there. They would they would pack up some snacks and take him on the road for that. Wow, yeah. Any day now they would make it. Even for a third, they that would happen pretty much instantaneously. Okay, we may even ship him Malcolm Floyd. <laughs> Keep John Brown. And Justin Hunter stick him outside. Have Larry Spitz in the middle. Bruce Aarons, yeah, Bruce Aarons would choke Justin Hunter with him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he 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 doesn't like undisciplined players. But you saw what he did in HB. And, and I, I'm not saying that Justin Hunter doesn't always give a, uh, the 100 percent effort, but you know, right. <laughs> You know. So um, tomorrow we'll be joined by Montel Hardy and Josh Zimmer, and we'll be concentrating on the Big Ten. And special guest Pete Smith will be joining us as well to talk about Pete, uh, Big Ten prospects tomorrow morning. Gentlemen, as always, it is an honor, a privilege, and a pleasure. Have a good night, and we'll do this again in one week. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.